This podcast is sponsored by our friends at Onnit. Go to onnit.com slash Dolce. You will immediately see the pop-up where you save 10%. From there, click on the foods icon. I'm giving you some insider information. And scroll down to the far bottom right column. You'll see the Dolce Ultimate Grocery Guide. Go to onnit.com slash Dolce. Follow that link, onnit.com slash Dolce. Click on foods, far right-hand corner, you're going to see this bald head and big smiley face as I walk you through the grocery store and teach you what to buy, what to know, and what to avoid. That's onnit.com slash Dolce. Shut up and sit down. This episode, we have Mr. Stan the Rhino Efferding, who has been proven without doubt, to be the world's strongest professional bodybuilder. Huge designation. Also, very intelligent businessman and entrepreneur, most recently appearing on Shark Tank, where he did get a deal with Damon John on a product that we talk about on this show. Now, it might be clear that Stan has participated in what is known as, how do we say, steroids, But this podcast is not about steroids or performance-enhancing drugs. If you go back and listen to September of 2015 when Stan was first on the show with Mr. Flex Wheeler, they opened up the book on steroids and on what goes on behind the scenes of that ultimate bodybuilding, ultimate strength competition. So the steroids, the PEDs, that was covered, well covered. And if you want to hear about that, then definitely go back and check out that episode, September of 2015. This episode, we don't avoid the topic for sure. We talk about a lot of different areas. And Stan is an open book, very honest. You can see in his delivery, very honest in his answers, but very compassionate at the same time. He's an educator and an entertainer built in this this entrepreneurial uh, type of of mindset. Very interesting. I hope you guys enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mike Dolce Show. I don't even know how to introduce this man. Who's, who's, you've been on the show now twice? Boy, I don't even recall. I hate that. I was on with Flex. You are Flex. You're yeah. on with Duffin. And on with Duffin, you're right. So it's two times. We've never done our own thing. This is, so this is yeah. the first, the first time. This is, and I've been hyping you up, actually, so everybody who listens knows. Uh, the Rhino, is it the White Rhino or the it's, Rhino? It, it can be either. It, it doesn't be. matter. I think Flex started with the White Rhino. I just shortened it because it fit on a hat better. There you go. Okay. It is the Rhino, the world's strongest IFBB professional bodybuilder. Anybody, not just the IFBB, but the world's strongest professional bodybuilder, Mr. Stan Efferding. And there's a new type. Title I've been pursuing recently. It's the world's best ping pong playing power lifter. So we have to put together a competition for that and make sure I can get that title. Is that a Guinness yeah. category? It's just as important as the world's strongest pro bodybuilder. Just it, as relevant. It is. The agility, the yeah. visuospatial awareness, right? <laughs> you can do it all. That's right. That's awesome. So good to see you, man. And as always, you look fucking insane. Thanks. I've been training hard, just acting as if, staying in shape, just trying to, to be me, do the best 50 I can, I can do. It's four months now. I'll turn 50 years old, the big 5 You'll be 50 in four months. Yeah. What's the day? Uh, November 6th. November 6th. Yeah. All right. 50 yeah. years old. Now, what I say is the clock starts again at zero. 
So, yeah. you know, yeah. five zero, you're, you're just a baby again. That's right. 50 is a new 30. I've, uh, I've had a lot of high hopes for myself as I approached 50. I've, I've kind of redefined myself as I, as I retired from competition and tried to have a, a more uh, look into the longevity portion of this thing. I started kind of taking care of myself more of a health aspect rather than a competitive uh, aspect. Yeah. And what kind of defines you, I mean, it's hard to just you know, have an individual category, and you don't, and I think that's actually what does define you. So when I describe you, I say, listen, this guy has a PhD level of intelligence. To talk to Stan is to really sit down and listen to someone who's very knowledgeable, very open-minded, very unbiased, very experienced. Your brain works at a high level, and that's shown by your level of success in multiple areas. You are a professional bodybuilder. You've earned the very rare distinction. I mean, what is that? 1% less than 1% less than 0.1%, who knows, of the population can actually get there. You are officially the world's strongest you know, bodybuilder in powerlifting, but you've set world records as a competitive powerlifter while also raw, which is unsupported in the gears, you know, the, the, the protective equipment or the training equipment is a little bit different. You're at that level. You're also a very successful entrepreneur and business person in telecommunications? You know, I, it was a number of different businesses. My first business that I started was telecommunications. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, you know, after college, uh, I worked in the real estate industry for a while and uh, with a developer, and we uh, built multifamily and operated multifamily place uh, apartment buildings. And, uh, and then I worked for a, a big REIT, a real estate investment trust. It was a billion-dollar company that uh, had assets all over the country. And those properties had their own telecommunications and cable operations. And so I uh, had a, you know, a, uh, an opportunity to learn about that as well. So when it came time for me to, you know, to branch out and start my own business, I, I went into things that I knew something about. I had uh, the intellectual property. Um, and you know, I encourage people to do that kind of thing. You know, go with their strengths. Start with something that they've uh, got experience in and, and you know, just try and... Uh, be your own boss so you can control the income streams. It, it can be risky for sure. And, uh, but that's what I did. And so when I started my telecommunications company, I had experience in that field. I'd actually also be, uh, been a, a vice president of a telecommunications company for three years. And so I really knew what I was doing. Sure. To be honest with you, this wasn't something that I just threw together. And how old were you? At the time, I was uh, 35. Okay. And Young. Yeah, but prior to that, I had just worked for other businesses. I, you know, was was a salaried guy, yep. and uh, you know, I understood from my mentor in real estate. Uh, he would tell me over and over again, and of course, you read uh, on all the motivational uh, literature that you, you know you're never going to truly be wealthy yep. if uh, if you're working for someone else. And so, when it came time to to put my chips in, uh, sold my home, cashed out my four hundred one k, ran up my credit cards. Uh, and just took the risk. All you know? in. All in. All That's in. the way it was. At the time, I didn't have kids. And so, you know, I'm, I wasn't very risk averse yep. uh, at the time. And it was, it was all or nothing. You know, I can always put a roof over my head and I can always, you know, get food to eat. Uh, this, was, this was all or nothing. And so I started a telecommunications company and, and I was eating at McDonald's dollar meals. I was broke. I couldn't even afford a gym. I was living in an apartment with three other people. I was running the business out of the apartment. And uh, over time, I just had to, to, you know, knuckle down. I was working a lot of hours. I wasn't exercising uh, at all. And it became very stressful. I, I learned something about that part of my life sure. and how important uh, exercise was. This is coming from somebody who had spent a better part of 10 or 12 years, uh, 15 years, trying to become a pro bodybuilder and competing. 
to suddenly not even going to the gym at all yeah. and eating at McDonald's. And the, the, the sacrifice was uh, because I wanted to run a successful business and I thought I needed to pour all those hours in there, but uh, I didn't understand at the time how that hurt me. Yeah. Uh, it made me less efficient. And hopefully we'll talk about some of that today in terms of sports performance and how Absolutely. the things you do behind the scenes uh, enable you to become the best at what you're doing. And so, uh, you know, eventually, um, you know, I was able to, to build that company into a successful business. And I used the uh, income from that business to invest in real estate, which I had a, a significant history and experience in doing, buying multifamily properties, uh, improving them renting them out for income, uh, rehabbing and sell, reselling them as condos, b built homes, commercial property. Um, this was pre-2008? Yes. <laughs> so you were still in the boom a little bit? Yep, yep. Okay. Very, uh, very good call. That was, it was in the boom time. Did you get uh, out before? And I didn't. I had some, okay. some properties. We had built, we were right in oh. the middle of building uh, a 40-unit subdivision. It sold about half of them, and then almost overnight, it seems like, uh, the market uh, collapsed and we couldn't get uh, a lender approved sure. uh, or a buyer approved with a loan. So uh, that was a difficult time. You learn a lot about uh, about yourself. You know, at the time, I think I recall people on TV committing suicide, yeah. getting their homes repossessed, their cars, losing their family, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't grow up wealthy and I worked for other people for many, many years and I couldn't understand that. Sure. I just, I, I'd never been there in that, that place to think that money was that important. Uh, you know, when I was a guy, I had a $3 million home on a lake, a Rolls Royce, boats, sea-doos, cars, trucks, you know, first-class flights, front-row seats at the UFC fights. You know, I did it big, you know. And uh, when you go from being worth $20 million on a Friday night to owing the bank money on a Monday morning, uh, you know, things change. But, uh, you know, it... For me, it was just another challenge. It's a game. It's monopoly. It's money. You know, it's not life. It's not family. It's not your kids. It's not your health. Yep. Great uh, un unless you let it impact your health, which, uh, you know, like I just mentioned, I, there were times in my life at which I learned a lesson about maintaining a healthy lifestyle to be able to, to handle those challenges. Sure. So, um, you know, I sold off what, what, uh, what I had, uh, parlayed that into an investment into an uh, engineering firm. And built that into a $5 million company. And you, you were trained. You went to school to become an engineer. No, I got a degree in psychology. psychology. Studied exercise <laughs> science. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I hired engineers. Wow. And that, boy, that's another Smart thing. Man. All these things are so relative in terms of discipline, consistency, time management. Sure. Uh, and even having a good team. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was running the telecommunications company, I had to have a, a, you know, a computer guy to run the computers and I had to have a, um, a CPA to handle my finances and an attorney to work with the, the legal issues. And, uh, you know, I surrounded myself with a good team and, uh, you know, it's the same, uh, with sports now with competitive athletics. I, I've always pursued a great coach or a great training partner or got consulted uh, or consulted with people uh, on, uh, say, my, my physical health, mobility, uh, doctors for, you know, internal health. So I've always had to utilize resources that were available uh, or, you know, pursue, you know, an improvement in business or performance uh, by getting a good team around me and listening a lot and learning a lot. So, you know, a lot of the things I talk about, I'm quick to, to say, here's where I learned it, and here's where you can get those resources for yourself, because you're going to need them. You can't do it all on your own. Yeah. So I wasn't an engineer. I hired engineers. 
Uh, but what was, year is this? So 35 is when you, you made the jump living in the apartment with a couple other people. Yeah. This was, this was a year, a year or so after the market collapsed. And I realized that there wasn't going to be anything in the stock market or anything okay. in the real estate market that you could invest in. Oh, nine. People's, yeah. People's 401ks were crashing. Yeah. There just wasn't any place to, to, to invest or really to make money at the time. Sure. Unless uh, they were buying. But for buy. the government. Yeah. And what we discovered was, is there was at least $2 billion already set aside to retrofit all the airports in the country uh, for baggage handling as a result of uh, the fallout from 9-11. And huh. so these bids were coming up where they needed re-engineering of all these airports. There's miles and miles and miles of, of uh, baggage handling systems, and they all needed to go through a special TSA screening now. Uh, and we just saw that there was, um, you know, there was business there, there was, there was funds there to work with. So we created a company that could bid on those projects and provide uh, CAD drawings and engineering to uh, retrofit these, these uh, airports. And we've been doing it ever since. We've done work for the TSA, we've done work for Boeing, uh, Lockheed Martin, done work uh, for, uh, even expanded into, say, Walmart, Smith's. Uh, you know, places that, that do a lot of shipping and receiving and warehousing, et cetera. So that's, you know, organically, we've kind of grown that business into wherever our expertise was. We would bid on. Are on you projects. still in the business? It's still, it's still op operational. Okay. And that one we built into a multi-million dollar company as well. And we've employed hundreds of people over the years. And unfortunately, every time we get a real great group, the government steals them from us. They of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> they just hire our best people. Um, and then we started uh, a little later than that. A, um, uh, <laughs> You're like Bellator. Yeah. <laughs> a medical marijuana uh, business. Awesome. Uh, initially, and now we've applied for the licenses and have been approved to get recreational marijuana up in Washington. Okay. Uh, and that's a good business. You know, I started working at 7-Eleven when I was 12 years old, and I always recognized that the number two top sellers were cigarettes and beer. Yeah. Drug business is good business. Exactly. And, uh, you know, when it became legal, uh, we figured that that would be a good opportunity for us as well. And it's... It, it, uh, it's an interesting uh, business. That's its own particular challenges, but it's a you know it's a business nonetheless. When you what now the hardest part from what I understand is the cash flow because can you is can you not still put your cash from the marijuana business exactly. into a federal bank? Yeah, that's exactly right. And you can't get uh, tax deductions uh, from federal tax deductions. But they so, do tax you. But they tax you. So you're how does that work? Yeah, you, it, it's challenging. You have to create a, a management company that handles all of your yeah. uh, all of your income. You pay them, uh, and then they're taxable. In the meantime, you can't write off anything, and so it, it's a it's a tough business to make a margin in. I know people think it's a gold rush, but it, it's not. It's very challenging, sure. very competitive. Uh, we learned along the way, as every business has been, of course. And that's the thing: everything's hard. Yeah. Whether you're losing weight, gaining weight, whether you're competing at a high level in any sport, whether you're starting a business, nothing's easy, and nothing happens overnight. It's all taken years to become successful. And that's what people don't get. They see a guy like you. They see a guy like Flex. They see a guy or girl on Instagram. They see what they look like today, but they don't know what it took to get there. Decades, yeah, a yeah. lifetime to get to that photo or get to that pinnacle, get to that point. And unfortunately, there's the, the quick fix, the magic pill concept. And a lot of that trickles down to diet, nutrition, fad diets primarily. And one of which we spoke briefly before is the keto craze. Kind of the yeah. tail, I think we're at the tail end of the keto craze right now. Yeah. We've tried to be at the least educational 
on what the metabolic state of ketosis is, what your body actually functions off of. If we consider what our fuel sources is, um, fuel, fuel sources are how we choose to operate. And we've seen the the abandonment of real food. And I, we spoke about this, so it all ties in. Most people, they don't want to eat real food per se. They don't, you know, don't want to eat a wide variety of healthy food choices. They want to jump to the exclusionary meal plan, which could be a keto, could be a paleo, could be an Atkins style. Do it for me, fit me in a box, I'll follow that. Or you know, the pill, the powder, the potion concept. That's the quick fix instead of prudence, instead of discipline, instead of taking those 15 or 20 years to kind of chop the wood and, and build it along the way. So to back up keto, what's your concept of keto? How do you use and see keto for the general pop, but then also for the elite athlete? Let me back up one more step and talk in a general cool. sense, sense kind of a, an umbrella. I just said, you know, it's, it's not easy and it takes a long time, blah, blah, blah. It's not intended to discourage people from starting because, boy, it's going to sound, I'm talking on both sides of my mouth, but it is easy when you create the right habits and the right lifestyle. Yeah. It's easy if you do it consistently. There's, there's no huge jump. It's hard if you imagine that you bench 135 and you want to bench 500. But if you imagine that you bench 135 and you want to bench 150, that's really easy. Yeah. And so depending on where you're starting, and it's all relative, uh, just creating a consistent plan and a lifestyle and hammering away at it day in, day out, just an hour here, an hour there. Nothing has to be overwhelming. Uh, when you start somebody on a program, you don't want to go zero to 100. Yeah. You want to go zero to one. Transitional. It's, it's transitional. transitional. Yep. And I think the same thing with respect to, uh, and that, that's with respect to business too, that, yep. that once you get started, just do it consistently. You can become great at it. And in a relatively short order, I'll tell you this about bodybuilding and the research uh, and, and sports in general. The research will suggest you'll reach 95% of your potential in less than two years. So the body will respond very quickly if you're consistent. A shitload of eighth graders just retired. No kidding. Well, Jay Cutler himself said he's been the same size since he was 20. Wow. But he was a teenage national champion sure. uh, competing in bodybuilding, and he worked very, very hard as a young man. Uh, I don't know if he started when he was 15, 16, 17, but you, kind of, you reach pretty much 95% of your potential. Now, that may not be the case in some highly skilled sports where you might need uh, like boxing or weightlifting at the Olympic, uh, the Olympic lifts. Um, you may need more experience, basketball, things like that that require some very fine-tuned specific skills. The longer you play, you know, it's the 10,000-hour rule sure. is kind of what, what I'm sort of getting onto now in terms of skill sets. But as far as your physical capacity, um, you'll find that, that you can do a lot really quickly. You can completely transform somebody's life, their body, their health, and everything within 90 days. And, and you, can, you can do a whole lot within 30 days to make them feel incredible. You know, you can, most people could, if they're pretty out of shape and, and have a lot of body fat, could lose 30 pounds in 30 days. Absolutely. With a relatively simple program of, of, of you know, discipline with their nutrition and, and modest exercise. It doesn't even have to be you know, some extraordinary uh, you know, program that you're in or killing yourself every day. Matter of fact, that can be a deterrent. Absolutely. And so... Uh, with respect to, to keto, to kind of go full circle here and get back to it, uh, one thing you mentioned is that it, it's, it's a fad, and we've seen this. We've been in the business, you know, me now for over 30 years. Mario, I've seen all the Pasquale, sure. Andy Chain, yep. all had it. They all had it. It's coming, it's coming, gone, and come back again, and, and as they all do. 
And these studies go back to the 1800s. There's nothing new about what we're doing. Studies on all proteins, all fats, all carbs, diabetes, weight loss. There's tons and tons of research. Uh, uh, who is it? Uh, Taubes uh, come out with a book, Good Calories, Bad Calories, that does an excellent job of going back historically in an even-handed manner and looking at the researchers that have studied both sides of every one of these uh, macro manipulations for well over 100 years, 150 plus years internationally. And that's not just observational studies, but they also look into uh, actual, uh, you know, human trials, etc. So this isn't new. It's the first thing. You know, just because uh, social media is new and you can become, uh, you know, insta-famous doesn't mean you're on to anything uh, cutting edge or extraordinary. Uh, and sometimes when athletes come to me uh, or, and they want to know about something and they talk about things that are cutting edge, I have to kind of slow them down and say, well, well, this goes back 100 years. There isn't anything cutting edge. It's really just about being, having a plan, being disciplined and consistent, monitoring the results. A good coach is going gonna, is gonna, to uh, implement a, a, a plan for you and then see how you respond because everybody responds differently. The same diet. You put 10 people on it. Some people might lose a pound or two. Some people might lose 10 or 12 pounds. Exact same diet and exercise plan. Everybody's different. We're, we're genetically different. Uh, uh, we tend to look like our parents. You look at people's body fat, where they carry it, the shape of their physique, whether or not they're an ectomorph, endomorph, mesomorph. They tend to look a lot like their parents, sure. one or the other or both. Uh, and so you're not starting with a blank slate. You're starting with someone who has a predisposition biologically. Uh, and so when you feed them these diets, they're going to respond differently. And it, it's your job as a coach to, to, to intervene and make sure they're getting the results they want. And to me now, at this stage in my life, I look at things, one is being whether or not they're sustainable. Yeah. It's like you just said, people jump on these programs and then a week later, a month later, you know, whether or not they got the results. Becomes too difficult to maintain. It's... it's, it's so contrary to their lifestyle at that point, exactly. they fall off instead of what you had said, we start transitioning. Yeah. So then it just becomes an evolution of the way you eat, the way you live. You don't have to go cold turkey with food. You just start eating more better foods and less crappier foods to yeah. transition. It really is that simple, uh, particularly for an untrained individual. Sure. They're going to get significant results. All diets work when they're strictly adhered to. If the idea of work is, do you lose weight? Yeah. Uh, whether or not it's sustainable, how it affects your body fat percentage, you know, whether or not you lost more muscle than fat, yeah. uh, whether or not it's something that you can continue to do on the long term. That's where the challenge becomes with every diet is, is what's the percentage of compliance over the, a year or two. Yeah. And those studies are a lot less available than the short-term studies, of course. Uh, everybody selling a program is going to hit you with, with the short-term study. Of course. Uh, and keto's biggest short-term studies are the immediate weight loss because you lose carbs and water. Uh, so, Boom, done. Yeah, yeah. I, I lost 10 pounds. Well, then I went off of it. I'm going to go back on it. You know, it's, it's not sustainable, and you may very well lose a lot of muscle tissue if you don't uh, have adequate protein in, in keto. I, I hate grinding down into specifics about keto without, like I've done, kind of sure. backing up and talking in general terms about diets in general and what you know, people should do. And I work on both ends of the spectrum. I work both with people who are trying to lose weight and people who are trying to gain weight, yeah. uh, particularly gain muscle. Uh, and so I look at all diets the same, and that's uh, how do they affect your body composition, and how do they impact you hormonally? That's the bigger thing. Yeah. Are they either increasing or improving uh, thyroid function, 
or are they hindering thyroid function, you know, helping or hurting? Yep. Uh, are they um, stimulating muscle tissue or are they stimulating uh, cortisol, which yep. breaks down muscle tissue? Um, are they, uh, you know, conducive to improving the hormones that, uh, like testosterone that, that would support uh, building muscle or increasing estrogen? Which would cause, you know, just the opposite. It would start to you know, have catabolic issues or, or uh, water retention, etc. So I look at everything hormonally, and that's why, um, you know, I, I kind of start with the blood test to see where you are now, and that's huge for me and all the athletes that I train. I want to find out where are you now. What hurdles do we have to overcome? If you're a coach and you want somebody, and somebody comes to you and says, "I want to gain muscle." And they're paying you to do that. And you don't mention the fact that in order to gain muscle, you have to have uh, you know, an optimal level of hormones. You have to have adequate levels of testosterone. If they don't have adequate levels of testosterone and you put them on a weight training program, you're stealing their money. Because that is definitely a piece of the pie, sure. you know, and it's a very, very important piece of the pie. And as I've gotten older and I've started to see my friends suffer from uh, hypogonadism and uh, the contact me, people who have never used testosterone their whole lives and have always exercised and then call me up one day and said, look, I'm getting fatter, I'm getting weaker, I'm tired all the time, get a blood test. Let's find out where your deficiencies yeah. are. And not just to promote testosterone, but to look at their thyroid. Thyroid medication is the number one prescribed medication in the country. Your mom's on it. Your sister's probably on it. Your grandmother's probably been on it. Uh, and that's just on the women's side. Men, yeah. too, suffer from the same issue. And a lot of it uh, could be avoidable, preventable, or curable, certainly. Uh, but that's kind of not the system that we're in right now. It's easier to take a pill than it is to fix uh, sleep apnea or to fix high blood pressure, or to fix obesity or manage to fix... the symptoms without curing the condition. Exactly. And that's and the medical system. Yep. That's yep. the medical system. And you know, when I encourage somebody to get their testosterone, uh, checked and you find out they have a deficiency, you have to remedy that problem. It doesn't necessarily mean that you take testosterone to cure yep. that problem. Uh, if you, if somebody hires you to lose weight and they've they're hypothyroid, they got low thyroid. Uh, you're stealing their money if you don't fix that problem because they'll never consistently uh, maintain their weight loss. Yeah. And so the hormones become huge. And whether or not you address that problem through diet and exercise or at least initially attempt to, to cure that thing with the absence of medication uh, or suggest uh, some sort of, of uh, medical intervention, then they're not going to reach the goals. And it's going to be much, much harder for them to either gain mass or lose fat. Yeah. So I look at food as how it can impact hormones. I, uh, and I, I try and put together diets that, that help people increase their thyroid, increase their testosterone, decrease their estrogen, decrease their, their uh, uh, cortisol. Uh, and, and in that way, uh, it's difficult to exclude entire food groups. 100%. Now, if somebody Agreed. wants to lose 10 pounds real quick, and that's not a bad thing necessarily if you, sure. if, if you transition into a sustainable program, yep. then I think keto is a great deal. It, it, uh, it can remedy um, uh, insulin problems, blood sugar problems, and, and type 2 diabetes, which I didn't mention in those other hormones, but it's probably the biggest one. Absolutely. And yeah. what we do is, for to clarify our position, we, we differentiate following a ketogenic diet from actually achieving the metabolic state of ketosis. So following that low-carb, very low-carb, zero-carb, carb-cycling style of lifestyle, which is 
similar to the ketogenic diet, and there's probably 20 different ones, which we've researched here, different types, you know, um, all... It's funny because there's such a wide variety in yeah. protein intake, fat yeah. type of fat, fat source, fat timing. Yeah. Are they adding fasting windows, intermittent fasting style windows inside of that? Um, but we, again, we point out the, the ketogenic diet is more of a carb control diet. Yeah. It's controlling your insulin sensitivities because most of us are not insulin sensitive Correct. or insulin insensitive from actually achieving the metabolic state of ketosis, which is a completely different process yeah. than just eating low carb. And that's what we push. So when you said, like, why are you exclu- like for us? Why are you excluding these these micronutrient dense, phytonutrient dense foods simply f- to go below forty grams of carbs per day? Because it was written on some yeah, piece of yeah. paper, some guy's blog, or in some video. Yeah. So we're just trying to educate. Be mindful of what you're eating. How does that? And you had spoke earlier, and I want to you know talk about you, one of your biggest clients <laughs> in, in a second. Yeah. Um, but you and I had spoken, this, this conversation jumped me back. You were talking about insulin sensitivity shit maybe a year or so ago. Yeah. And I saw a photo, I was like, Jesus Christ, you're fucking shredded. And you're like, yeah, I've been walking for 10 minutes after every oh, meal yeah. to improve my insulin sensitivity and you saw results. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Where did this science come from, but your personal application? You got shredded. Yeah, well, here's what we know. We know that, that if you overeat and under-exercise, that you're going to eat too many carbs, you're going to become insulin resistant. Your body just can't handle that constant yep. pounding. of. And insulin's a very powerful hormone, both positively and negatively. Uh, and so you want to monitor uh, you know, your food intake to make sure that, that, uh, that you don't aggravate the problem, and you want to have an exercise program that... Uh, encourages your body to become sensitive to insulin. Um, you know, for me in particular, I was 290 pounds when I was powerlifting, and uh, I was pretty insulin resistant at that point. And I get yeah. blood tests done on a monthly basis all through my competitive years. For the last 10 years, I, I still do it now. I'm retired. I don't compete. I get a blood test every month. Wow. And I monitor all of these things and how they affect me. And when I make changes in my diet, I try and see if it has an actual uh, positive effect, whether it be on my uh, hemoglobin A1C, my insulin, sure. uh, blood sugars, um, uh, my cholesterol, uh, obviously my, my kidney and liver enzymes, uh, uh, my testosterone levels, estrogen. Uh, there's a whole litany of tests that I recommend. And I'll say briefly, um, I've gone to HRT doctors, uh, many, many, many different ones for the last 25 years. I've learned a lot from them. Uh, but at the same time, I'm able to manage this myself. Yeah. Uh, now uh, I have enough information where I can do that. Uh, and people don't always have the opportunity to go to a doctor to get them to do the, the tests that are necessary, uh, or they might not have insurance. And in, in which case, uh, especially overseas, when I deal with clients that are in Canada or Iceland sure. or in the UK and Australia, et cetera, with socialized medicine, they can't get blood tests that are compre- very comprehensive. The, the state won't pay for it, right? Socialized medicine. And so, uh, like, I had to have a client actually come to the States to get, to get a blood test. So what I do is I use uh, privatemdlabs.com. There's others out there. Uh, I actually contacted them after many years because I was starting to talk about their services online, and I wanted people to have an opportunity to get a discount. And so they set me up so where if you go to my site, stanefforting.com, uh, and there's a place where you can click on blood test, and it, it takes you right to their site, recommends which test to select, uh, which is a, uh, you know, a profile, an, an anti-aging a hormonal profile that gives you just a litany of tests. Uh, um, it's a whole other conversation unto itself. Sure. Um, along with the vitamin D uh, tests that I recommend. But you, you can buy those uh, online. 
And then they send you to the nearest lab corp, which is usually a few miles from your house, probably. There's one on every corner in every city in the country. Uh, you get a blood test at LabCorp, uh, and within three business days, they send you the results to your house. And the results are easy to read. Wow. They say high and low. They tell you what the normal is and whether you're high or low. And then you can go about researching that, consult your doctor, what, what have you. I'm, I'm very familiar with those over years. And what's the name of this site again? The, the PrivateMDLabs.com. And that's if accessible. If you want a discount, Stan you can go to StanEfferting.com and click on my blood test link and use Rhino as a discount code to get 15% off. I describe it all there on my page. Gotcha. But if somebody wants to get a blood test, and I recommend they do, it's the first thing you should do before you buy a supplement, before you buy a Absolutely. pair of squat shoes, you know, or some... What? <laughs> yeah. What? what about my Fitbit? Uh, yeah, or any other fancy thing. Uh, yeah. Get a blood test. Yeah. Because your performance... Uh, can improve significantly when you shore up deficiencies. And that's kind of what I'm about when I start with someone. I want to find out where are you deficient. Because yeah. if I can fix that, you can have huge performance gains. You look like a genius. Yeah. 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 And, I, and it isn't about your training program. Yep. You know, it isn't about your macros per se. Yep. Uh, it's really just about remedying deficiencies, which will completely stop your progress. Yeah. And if you can fix something, such as a vitamin D deficiency that I talked about in my rant, in my rhino's rant one time, uh, you can improve many other things about your your blood. Vitamin D, you take, you said 10,000, 8 to 10,000 IUs per day? Yeah. It, here's the thing. When people, I'm on 10,000 IUs per day. Because of that, I was taking five. I doubled up to 10. Yeah. Feel great. I, I have to be very cautious. Again, I can't paint with a broad brush. Yeah. If you don't have a deficiency and you go down and get a blood, blood test, you're already in the 50 to 60 range. You, we then, live in Las Vegas, everybody, mind you. Yeah. And I'm taking supplemental vitamin D3. Yeah. It's I, a huge and I problem. live in Las Vegas. And it's I'm vain as hell. And I stand outside with my shirt off. Yeah. You know, and I get the raise. And I see you're pretty, you got some, some tan too, buddy. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you're not shy. Well, and, and what's important about it is, is beyond... Uh, you know, just supplementing is the benefits that you get from it, yeah. uh, you know, in terms of your immune system and performance. Uh, it increases calcium absorption, yeah. uh, which you have to be cautious of. Take too much vitamin D, your calcium might get too high. Yeah. So, uh, again, I'm really careful about prescribing. Uh, I'll, I'll yeah. say that my I, experience was is I got a blood test. Yep. I was taking 6,000 IUs of vitamin D, and I was low. I was taking it I intermittently as well. I wasn't as disciplined gotcha. as I should have been about vitamin D until I got the blood test. And I was feeling terrible. My bones were aching. I was tired. Uh, I just wasn't recovering from workouts. My sleep was suffering. Um, and I had never had a vitamin D test as part of my regular blood test until uh, I added it one time because you can add so many different tests. It's, it's, I mean, they can go on and on and on. Sure. Uh, but that one was pretty important. And by the time I added it, I realized, shoot, I'm deficient. And this is what was causing the problems. I took 6,000 IUs a day, and, and within 30 days, my blood, uh, my vitamin D had gone from 30 up to 36. A month later, it had gone to 46. A month later, it had gone to 54. Yep. So it takes a while to recover from those from the vitamin D deficiency. It's not something like a B vitamin you can take, and within a day or an hours, you know, you you've remedied the problem. Sure. Uh, depending on the, the which B vitamin, but within a you know a day or a week, your B vitamins can be fixed with supplementation. Uh, but with the D, it took three months to ultimately reach, uh, you know, a normal level for me. And that's what people generally find. Yeah. Most hormone replacement therapy clinics you go to will give you uh, vitamin D injections oh, wow. of uh, 50,000 IUs uh, just to try and get your system 
uh, you know, normalized quicker. Yeah. Uh, so anyhow, that vitamin D along with many, many, many other potential deficiencies. Uh, and again, the, mo- the, mo- the most important can be your insulin sensitivity. Vitamin D is inversely related to insulin sensitivity. As your vitamin D goes down, your insulin resistance goes up. As yep. your vitamin D comes up, your insulin resistance goes down. And what I noticed as my vitamin D came up is my hemoglobin A1C started dropping huh. from, from pre-diabetic, or it was borderline, 5.5, yeah. 5.6, 5. down to 5.4, 5.3. 5.2. Every month it was going down. And the vitamin point. D was the only discernible change you would make. It in was your the only class. discernible change. And yeah. I had been um, addressing uh, insulin sensitivity for, or looking at it for years. Sure. I keep a close eye on hemoglobin A1C because, as you know, nutrient partitioning is huge for sports performance. Yeah. What you eat is utilized either efficiently or inefficiently yeah. based on your insulin sensitivity. It's either stored as fat or it, it goes to muscle glycogen uh, and, and protein repair, uh, muscle repair. That is why insulin is so important, because the food that you eat uh, gets partitioned positively or negatively based on insulin sensitivity. If you're overweight and you have insulin resistance, the first thing you want to do is cure the insulin resistance by losing body fat. Uh, one of the best things you can do, as we just talked about, is, is decreasing your carbohydrate intake so your body isn't constantly hammered with, with insulin. Uh, let me put this, I guess the question was the walks, <laughs> Yeah, but it's part of a comprehensive it's, program. It gives context, absolutely. And so another thing that I did and that, that people should endeavor to do, whether you're losing weight uh, or, or trying to increase sports performance, is weight train yeah. because it drastically improves your insulin sensitivity. Well, another study that I saw was is that a 40-minute walk at the end of a rather sedentary day of work is not nearly as effective as three or four 10-minute walks periodically throughout the day. And now you see it all the time, Dr. Oz, take a five-minute walk every hour. It's all the new rage. Well, that's because the research has shown that your insulin sensitivity improves much better from the three or four 10-minute walks than the one 40-minute walk. And that's great because I always say, and as we said on this show, compliance is one of the most difficult things about being on a program. And going to the gym and walking on the treadmill for 40 minutes is not a terribly likely activity for the long term. It's boring. It requires a 40-minute window plus travel time, which who has that? So the 10-minute walk was was ideal. The research was perfect because now every time you eat, you take a 10-minute walk. It Literally, eat a little quicker and stay off your phone, and you have no extra time commitment involved, invested in that. Absolutely. And so I started implementing the 10-minute walks. I do this for people who, who are trying to lose weight and people who are trying to gain weight and gain muscle. And it's equally effective for both. Whether you're at a calorie deficit and trying to lose weight, the 10-minute yeah. walks improve digestion, decrease gas, uh, increase insulin sensitivity. Uh, and then for the people who are trying to gain weight, the very same reasons put them in a position to be able to utilize the extra calories, the calorie surplus, yep. to build more muscle and to recover faster from workouts and to digest the foods faster so they can eat again sooner. Uh, so the 10 minute walks have been monumental for me, uh, a guy who hates to do cardio yep. and never historically did cardio. Uh, I would use hit under load. I would use 20 rep sets sure. of squats or weighted carries or stuff to get my heart rate up. To keep... <laughs> suffer, <laughs> suffer short instead of suffer long. Yes. That right. was, that was the goal. Got and, it. and that's not always healthy per se. Sure. 
uh, you know, that's a whole other conversation about fit versus healthy and, yeah. and the things that we do as athletes to become great athletes isn't necessarily in your best interest in terms of health wise. On that, it's a great transition into this next yeah. point still regarding insulin. I've been trying to discuss the power of insulin and most people don't really get it. They Extraordinary. Think it, Most powerful hormone in the body. And I, I said, yeah, I, I did a talk to a rather affluent group of, of professionals and part of that talk, I pulled up a slide of Arnold Schwarzenegger at his absolute best, in my opinion, the 75 yeah, Olympia. Yeah. He looked absolutely amazing, mm-hmm. flawless. And then I posted some photos of modern day bodybuilders that you won't even know the name of, and they would blow Arnold away. Yeah. Yeah. But what was different in the type of muscle that they had? Arnold was, what, 6'2", 235 pounds, yeah. admitted to be on steroids, performance-enhancing drugs to look yeah. like that. So he's on record to say that. We know that these same bodybuilders competing are also... But the steroids haven't essentially gotten better or more sophisticated. The insulin, the as insulin came into bodybuilding in the 90s or so, and that's pretty well documented through most of the guys that competed during that time, that's when you saw that that change in physique where the body began. Milo Sarshev just did Palumbo show yeah. not long ago and got pretty down deep yeah. into the power of insulin. So from your perspective, because you've been behind the scenes in professional bodybuilding and, you know high-level powerlifting, what have you seen, but knowing what you know on the power of insulin from a health perspective, forget the fitness and the cosmetic side, from a health perspective, how has the impact of, of insulin behind the scenes changed the sport of bodybuilding? And then some some dangers and pitfalls that I think we all know, because we all have the grandma that lost a toe or an ankle or a foot. Yeah, yeah. By, well, it's Obviously, it's huge. Insulin, because it's such a powerful uh, hormone, anabolic, uh, and it doesn't discern between... You see, insulin isn't just about carbohydrate metabolism. Insulin shuttles uh, all the nutrients to the cells yeah. and very quickly, uh, whether it be fat or protein. Uh, and in so much as people started eating a lot more and using insulin to then... Uh, metabolize those foods sure. quicker, uh, they were able to get much bigger. Unfortunately, your intestines respond just as much as your muscles do gotcha. and adapt. And so they started to get that belly, what people refer to as the GH belly, but it's really an insulin response from, from a massively increased number of carbohydrates yeah. and the insulin that you're consuming and then uh, the growth, therefore, of your, your intestines. The human body is just not designed to absorb that much food and because of the exogenous insulin it then can through this you know ulterior mechanism and we saw some some changes to physiques in that way also absolutely absolutely and you know the the challenge is is that if you want to continue to gain more muscle and more size more strength etc over the long term, such as if uh, you need to be bigger to be a bodybuilder or a power lifter or a strong man or even a lineman in football, uh, you will have to eat more food. And there's, on that note, there's stories of Olympic athletes, track athletes, using insulin as a doping mechanism yeah. to, yeah. you know, counter... Um, USADA and, and WADA testing protocols. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's extraordinary for recovery as well. Sure. And people who train multiple times a day can use insulin post-workout 
to shuttle carbohydrates in. A little spike to push it all in there, right? Replenish the carbohydrates, the glycogen, so that the subsequent training session can can be more intense and and longer in duration, and you can recover from that. All of these hormones are utilized, uh, as they were in the UFC for as well when it was uh, under HRT. Absolutely. uh, To increase the amount of training that an athlete can do and recover from and not uh, start to deteriorate and break down. Uh, they increase nitrogen retention if it's testosterone, which can hold more protein and it can be metabolized faster so your muscles recover quicker. Uh, it suppresses catabolism, which causes muscles to break down. Um, and so you can train more often, and which is really the, you know, uh, that's the pinnacle of, of, of sports is to be able to do more more often. Yeah. Uh, and More reps in shorter time. Exactly. And then you can, you can progress faster. Uh, and that's the whole purpose behind the scenes of sleeping more, eating more, uh, and doing more, say, mobility or recovery work. And people are always employing other types of mechanisms, whether it, uh, what I call passive mechanisms, such as cryotherapy or massage therapy or Epsom salt baths or whatever your flavor of the week is for, yeah. for recovery. And I, I've often said that those things that, that are done to you or for you are not nearly as effective as the things you do for yourself in terms of recovery, yeah. which is why the walks, which is why mobility, which is why just movement in general of blood flow through the body is much better than some passive arrangement that's uh, you know both superficial and temporary and I don't mean to, to get sidetracked no, for sure, but it's for important it, it, it all fits I don't want people to think that that those are substitutions for uh, a very good diet a very good most people program. try and make it a substitution though, they do they're looking around for that like you said the silver bullet the yeah. quick fix the easy thing and those are all easy things but if they're done at the sacrifice of I think it's great to have a you know a program of those things if that's what you're so inclined to do if you have time if you have the resources but to think Think that that's the optimal way yeah. uh, is bad thinking, and we talked about this a little bit with supplements. Not to jump onto a whole other track, yeah, no, but, for sure. But people always say, you know, what's the best supplement? And blah blah blah. And I go, food is the food. best supplement. You know, people always want to know. You mean Rich Piana's real food supplement? They want to start a program, and they they ask you what protein powder or what pre workout to take, and I'm like, no, 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 food first. And I, the same thing with your training. Uh, movement is first for recovery, blood flow, uh, and especially in terms of getting all the crap out of your system, the toxins, et cetera, uh, you need to, to move to get the lymphatic system to, to rid uh, all of that, uh, waste from your body. So, uh, you know, that's why I, I focus so hard on what might be considered the little things because they're, they're, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. We talked about uh, fueling hormones, getting your body to work for you instead of against you in terms of insulin, testosterone, thyroid, and, uh, and, and the like. We talk about um, movement, you know, the amount of training that you do and recovery, get your body to work for you. Uh, we're, a, we're an active mechanism or a machine, that, 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 and, and it's, a, if, it's a concert. If people jump on your Instagram, and that's is it at Stan Efferding? Yeah, yeah. On your Instagram, you can see the way you move. Like your farmer's walks are now legendary. There's, you know, videos of you sprinting, doing stairs and different runs and yep. jump rope and all these other things. At what do you weigh? 260, 270? 250. 250. Yeah. Massive. I mean, body fat percentage. I try and stay under 10%. Under single digit body fat percentage, yeah. 250 pounds at almost 50 years yeah. old. So yeah, you crush it in the gym. 
Of course, yeah. you do. But, but you implement these other strategies also. Yes, it's not what I do in the gym. It's what I do outside the gym that allows me to do that that's in it. the gym. And that's the important part. It's the blood test so yeah. I can uh, you know, rectify any deficiencies. It's the frequent moving, uh, The whether I don't like to call it cardio because I'm not a big fan of steady state cardio. I think it breaks down muscle tissue and it becomes uh, less and less effective over time. Uh, it's the HIIT training to get my heart rate up so that I recover quicker. I utilize uh, my insulin uh, sensitivities better. So I utilize my foods better. Uh, it's the types of foods that I eat. You know, I try and stay away from foods that, that might cause me problems. And I hate, I, uh, more so than, 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 uh, I think than, uh, categorizing, uh, uh, or demonizing any particular food category, whether it be fats, proteins, or carbs, people like to go in and start demonizing foods. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I've got my own, you know, feelings or, or uh, you know, philosophy about that, and, and that is that, that you can eat what you can efficiently utilize and digest. Uh, but there are certain foods that I do stay away from. One big one is the polyunsaturated fatty acids. Okay. It's, these, it's these processed vegetable oils, the canolas and the like, uh, soy. Did the AHA just come out and say that we should be consuming those instead yeah, of coconut it's, oil? Did it's really that unfortunate. At all? Really unfortunate that they continue to do that. The research doesn't support it. They had no new research to make that statement. Yeah. They simply went in and reevaluated old research. Yeah. And when they say that it may reduce uh, uh, heart disease, uh, um, they're not looking at all cause mortality. It's increasing other diseases, and yeah. and, and people are dying of cancers, etc. Uh, uh, it, it's a, it's a terrible, terrible way of looking at things that, that they've done. Uh, you know, it, it's horrible that we've eaten saturated fats for thousands of years and never had a problem until the last 40 to 50 years. Yeah. Uh, and then to try and call that problem saturated fats, yeah. uh, as opposed to this, these polyunsaturated, these vegetable oils that we've created out of nowhere that, that aren't food. Uh, and we start filling ourselves up full of those. You know, first it was trans fats. The, the, the same people that are telling us about eating more polyunsaturated fats told us to eat trans fats. Yeah. So, you know, you, you do the math. Are those people you should be listening to? Absolutely. You know, as an athlete, it's more important to me to talk in terms of sports performance. And when, uh, when the cells are constructed with inferior uh, uh, products like these polyunsaturated fats, uh, and they they then break down easier, and they create toxins as a part of the breakdown process. Then you've got you're doing damage to your body that's hard to to repair, and you find that the stability of your whole system depends on the quality of the foods that you eat. And saturated fats are very stable, very very stable, and promote hormone production throughout the body. And it it also comes down to to quantity and pairing. Oh, bingo. And that's what yeah. this study and this statement didn't give credence to, and that's dangerous, actually, because now an entire population might shift away from healthy, wild, you know, earth-born fat sources yeah. and jump completely into the synthetic chemical genetically modified with no real understanding. I believe we have a, a very solid understanding, yeah. but no long-term studies on what is the full effect unless, like you said, we look back 40 years of what's happened to the population 
since the introduction of these synthetic chemical yeah. GMO sources, and we can see what's happening. So we have our own essential meta-analysis yeah. we, we can don't draw have conclusions any long-term from. studies on these things, because they're all new. We have long-term studies on... on uh, on saturated fats because we've been eating for thousands of years. The keeps changing their tune every three to ten years or so on what's going to kill you. And oh, shoot. And I understand everybody's an industry. The meat industry is an industry. The dairy industry is an industry. But so is uh, the grain industry, uh, corn, and uh, these vegetable oils, which used to be used uh, to make paint yeah. Uh, and then they were fed. The reason why they fed these vegetable oils to animals is because it fattened them up so efficiently. And uh, so now they're feeding them to us. Absolutely. You know, it, and look at us. Yeah. Look at Wally us. out there, right? I just got back from, um, I was going to say, uh, with respect to, to studies, yes. uh, we, we, we can look at the um, uh, Amish population, who for hundreds of years now has eaten a lot of saturated fats. Yeah. Uh, they, they grow all their own foods, and, and particularly pig, in addition to steak, they, a lot of ham, uh, bacon. Etc. Uh, uh, they also grow their own grains and eat those and molasses. And so there's sugars there. There's grains sure. there. Uh, and they, they tend to eat a lot of butter, whole, raw milk straight from the cow. Uh, and they have about a 3% obesity rate. Wow. And they have less than half the cancers as when taken as a whole sure. uh, of what the typical American diet will have. Because they don't eat our processed foods, they don't eat our white flours, they don't eat our processed vegetable oils, they don't eat uh, you know those foods. But more importantly, and what you just said was the amount of food they eat yeah. and the amount of exercise that they do. Yep. We're running around with our Fitbits trying to get ten thousand steps a day, and these folks, on average, get twenty thousand steps a day with no Fitbit. Sure, I don't know how they do it without That's a insane. Fitbit. But, but they're doing it, and they do it for longer periods of time, whereas we tend to start to slough off over, over as, as age catches up to us. We move less and less. Yeah. They continue to move well into their 60s and 70s. They don't sit around and watch TV. Uh, they don't have TVs, yeah. <laughs> you know, or, of course. or iPhones. Of course. So, and then it turns out that their uh, rate of heart disease is much, much lower than ours. Their rate of obesity is much, much lower. Uh, and they push away. They don't, they don't have, they just aren't overweight. And that tends to cause a lot of those problems uh, is the obesity starts to, to create the diabetes and to create the high blood pressure and to create all those uh, debilitating the heart disease, et cetera. Uh, so they don't have those those issues because they aren't overweight because they don't overeat uh, everything in moderation. We kind of get back to that 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 whole and that goes back to our species in general for hundreds for thousands of years since the dawn of time and the evolution of the the Homo sapien. We've had to travel and work to get our food. We weren't yeah. calling Domino's or having Uber Eats just drop us off, you know, a, a buffet while we're sitting at the office at our cubicle, you know, doing CAD designs, if you will, or writing diets or yeah. accounting and bookkeeping. So like the Amish, they're actually working the fields. They're working their grain. They're working their cattle. They're working. They're turning the butter. They're actually by hand, by 20,000 steps per day, they're actually earning their meals Absolutely. during this time, which is why. So they're active. They're probably not going to the gym. And they're eating whole foods. And right they're eating the farm. real foods, yeah, real which foods. again, we point to earth-grown. We use that term constantly, earth-grown, earth-born. Yeah. That's, in our opinion, the most nutrient-dense calories on the planet Therefore, you can actually consume less total calories and maximize your nutrition when we stay away from all the, the synthetics, all the processed. All the processed foods. Shop the perimeter. You go up and down the aisles, yeah. you're going to start to have a problem. You go to the grocery store and shop the perimeter, the vegetables, the fruits, the milks, the meats. Uh, you're you're going to do much better overall if that's just kind of a general concept. Sure. 
You know, I've had the opportunity over all the years that I've been competing to travel quite a bit, yeah. and more recently to do it uh, uh, as a as a coach and a consultant. To, and I I'll be in nine countries and seventeen states this year. And more recently, I just got back from Samoa. I was in American Samoa, and I was in Western Samoa. And I spoke to five high schools, a college, and did some uh, interviews on the radio there talking about the obesity crisis in Samoa. And it comes down to exactly what you just said. And my wife is from there, was born in a small village in Western Samoa, British Samoa. Uh, and her family raised all their own food, their, their own pigs, uh, milk from the goat, uh, taro root was their potato that they planted, yeah. uh, vegetables, and then, of course, from the ocean, anything that they could harvest from there. Uh, and they had no obesity, partly because they didn't have a lot of food. Yeah. Uh, and what food they did have, they sold at the marketplace because that was their income. It was a commodity. It wasn't just uh, you know like, like us, just dip on down to McDonald's and, and eat whenever we want. Uh, but also because that they were active and they, they ate the foods that they grew themselves on the island. They had no processed food, nothing was imported. Uh, no obesity in her family, no obesity in the villages surrounding her. And this was, uh, you know, we're only talking 30 years ago, wow. uh, 40 years ago. And we now know Samoa, the, the Samoan Islands, to be some of the most obese people in the world, uh, American Samoa in particular. She moved to American Samoa when she was seven, and they lived much the same way. They grew all their own food for another family on their farm, and they were very poor. They lived in a four-post hut with a thatched roof. Uh, they had no running water. They, they had an outhouse. It was a hole dug in the ground. Uh, they used the creek for uh, bathing. And they raised pigs, uh, and they grew their own fruit and vegetables, and they sold some of it at the marketplace. They had no obesity in their family. The wealthy people on the island were obese. The wealthy people on the island were the, uh, the, the politicians, the, uh, the religious folks. <laughs> they, were, they tended to have more money, uh, and they ate more food, and they were obese. And it was regarded and highly revered to be obese. It was, it was considered to be a sign of wealth. And so, uh, you know, the population looked at that, didn't look at that in any, any bad way. Well, eventually... Um, what happened with American Samoa, which didn't happen in British Samoa, is as bad. You notice that there's a there's a distinct difference in in the size of the populations. In American Samoa, uh, right about the mid '80s, I think it was, they introduced uh, food stamps to the island. And when food stamps came to the island, they went from being food poor to being food rich. Yep. Now they stopped raising their own food and started using the food stamps to buy food, which all became imported foods, uh, white flour sugar, and vegetable oils. Yep. Uh, mayonnaise was a big one, which is polyunsaturated fats, canola oil. Yep. And that's what they ate. And they went down, it was mayonnaise on bread, mayonnaise on white bread, mayonnaise on uh, sugar on rice, uh, white flour. They were all making now those processed foods. Jesus. The obesity epidemic skyrocketed. And her father, who had no obesity all his life, ultimately died from complications of diabetes, the, the, the black feet and the, yep. uh, the whole nine yards. Power of insulin. Yeah. And that's what happened on the island. I don't want to blame that just on, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, food stamps coming to the but island. It is. But it's saying a cultural it created, shift. Yeah, yes, paradigm change. It created something very different where they weren't growing their food and they were now eating uh, these imported uh, uh, processed foods. Uh, and so I went around and I spoke to these high schools about uh, you know, this very problem, this, uh, it, which is tragic there. And while doing so, about every hour or two, I would hear a siren on the island. It's a small island. You can hear the echo of the siren going through the island. 
and I had the opportunity to ask uh, one of the ambulance drivers one time, I said, what are you guys going to do? I said, what, 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 what's all the activity here? Why is there a siren every hour on the hour? He said, the vast majority of the time, they're going to pick up a heart attack victim who has, is north of 400 pounds who's died in their 40s or 50s. Jesus. And so every time I heard the siren from that point forward, and every time I hear a siren now that I'm back home, that's the thought that goes through my head. Yeah. Is how tragic it is that we've created that uh, for ourselves, in, you know, not just in Samoa, but in our society now, our obesity being uh, north of, of a third, 35%. Uh, it's tragic. And I, I constantly, with all this industry about bodybuilding and powerlifting and sports performance and supplements and blah, 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 you, you, you tend to think that, that everybody's getting healthier, but in fact, we're not. Yeah. And I don't think about you know, starting a supplement company or opening a gym to, to lift weights and build athletes. I think about what's the solution for obesity? And I know that there's so many people working on this. We've got the Jenny Craigs of the worlds and the Weight Watchers. And They're the, not working <laughs> on this. Or, or making money from yeah. you know, the, the problem. But there's Oprah. No, it's, yeah, there you go. And, and uh, uh, Dr. Phil or Dr. Uh, Oz. Oz. Uh, you know, all of these people are, are focused on this same problem, but we don't seem to have any, any solution. Yeah. It's getting worse, not better. We, we talked about the solution earlier, though, and that's having prudence and being mindful and, and eating for activity and, and moving your body and you know exercising, eating earth-grown foods, getting yeah. Yeah. proper rest, allowing your body to repair, minimizing external stress. So putting ourselves in the best possible situation for this human biological organism to operate the way it was designed. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's, and that's what Brown University, who studied the obesity epidemic in, in Samoa, has concluded. And they sent people down there to work with the villages to talk to them. Huh. Education. Edu- education. Yeah. They didn't come up with a fancy diet plan or anything like that. They, they do worry about diabetes. It is something that they intervene with. And, and, and they do have to medicate because the, the alternative is, is certainly a much quicker death. But yeah. education ultimately is where they've, they've focused their efforts on going in and talking to people about uh, nutrition. Really hard to sell that. We sell it, and our way is to call people out on it yeah. and say, but hey, if you didn't know that McDonald's is terrible for you, you and soda now. is terrible for you, and apple pie is terrible for you, well, now you know. And how dare you feed it to your children should you ever oh, choose to do wow. so? Yeah. I just saw a rant on, you know, Facebook is a great place to, to see people unedited. Yeah. You know, it's almost like the guy that has too many drinks at the bar and just starts going off and you're like, that's the real dude. Yeah. And I saw something on Facebook the other day that you would never dare say today. And I'm going to say it on your radio show. Oh, don't yeah. let it be the N-word. Oh, no. But I, I just, you know, because you don't want to, to shame people or insult people and, and what have you. Uh, I do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this guy said, look, you know, I feel bad for you if you're obese. And I, I know you're trying and doing your best and this, that, and the other. And, and I don't want to, you know, fat shame, et cetera, et cetera. And God bless you. But if your kids are fat... Fuck you. Good. And he just went off. And, uh, you know, and again, genetics reign supreme. And if you're have a, if you have a propensity to be overweight, so will your children. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, that you gave that to them from your bad behavior, but they've, they, that's who they are. Uh, I even hate using the word bad behavior because it seems so insulting, you know, just because some people do have a much harder time losing weight than others and, and may gain weight much easier than others. 
uh, and uh, it's more difficult for them, and, and so they do have to work harder. They do have to be more disciplined, sure. more consistent. They do have to, to exercise more and watch what they eat better. And they can have a friend that's skinny that goes out and eats pizza and never has to go to the gym. Gerald Harris. It's not fair. My former roommate and buddy. Yeah. The UFC competitor. Eat whatever you want. And look like, look almost like Flex. Yeah. And this motherfucker would eat McDonald's in front of me, and I'm on egg whites and oatmeal. I'd love to get his blood test. I bet he was insulin sensitive. Is crazy. Just sure. He's probably in the fours. I'm <laughs> most likely. That, <laughs> that would actually be interesting. Was probably in the fours. That would, be, but, but yeah. not to hijack. But fucking Gerald Harris. You know Gerald. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Well, there it is. Gerald Harris, and everybody has their Gerald Harris. <laughs> yeah. Their buddy that they just you know, and, and and I tend to focus on women because they they. Uh, yeah. We all do. Yeah. Men just don't give a shit if they're fat. They just don't seem to care. Dad bod, we, have no, we have no shame. And that kind yeah. of brings me back to that word, shame. Yeah. And we as a society have not wanted to shame people. And I don't think that's a, a, you know, a great thing to do either. Uh, but you look at a society like Japan, they do shame people. Yeah. You look at uh, religions such as, um, uh, um, what am I thinking of? Uh, uh, in in Utah, the uh, the, the Mormon? Mormons yeah. have a much lower rate of obesity. They're much more. Of course, they don't smoke or drink. Uh, sure. uh, uh, those things that can aggravate the. But they also push away. Uh, they have a uh, kind of pay more attention to gluttony. Sure, say. they have their a diet plan, don't they? There's like a Mormon yeah meal plan. Yeah. Someone yeah. brought that to my attention years ago. After they, they pay much myself. more careful attention to it, and and educated folks tend to more than sure. than lower educated folks. We see that. Uh, you know, in, in the States as well, uh, communities that, that are, are more affluent tend to have less obesity than less affluent yeah. communities. Uh, and I'm, I'm throwing out a whole bunch of really terrible uh, things right now. Shame, uh, uh, socioeconomic status, uh, religion, um, you know, blaming uh, the, the, the obese people for their, their circumstance. But I'm trying to temper that uh, a little bit with the understanding that, that somewhere in the mix of all this, without offending people or trying not to offend people, uh, there are solutions. And uh, the solution is to recognize your personal responsibility. I said it, it's hard when you're in the war against diabetes, you have to, to declare an enemy. And unfortunately, the enemy in this situation is also the victim. The individual that's overweight is the one who ultimately is the only person that can fix that problem. Uh, hopefully with the help of people who are responsibly uh, trying to give them the good information, encourage them to be consistent and to eat well, and whether the medical intervention is, is to cure the problem or just manage the symptoms, uh, all of those things come into play. Uh, just really quickly, the Japanese do yeah. uh, use shame. Uh, they they are a society that's that's uh, you know they have a very high um, sense of uh, of res personal responsibility. Uh, it's probably why they also have the highest suicide rate in the world. Yeah. Uh, they they uh, and they don't they they do believe that that when somebody's obese, it's a personal responsibility. It, it's uh, you know it's something that they've done to themselves, and uh, they shame them for it. Uh, I saw that when I was managing apartments. 30 years ago. And I had a lot of people from Japan and from uh, Korea and from, uh, uh, you know, a lot of those uh, countries, uh, Asian countries, who would come here and the students would be quite thin. And then after a year or huh. two, uh, they, would, they would just get huge 
room service. You know, I'd, you'd see the pizza truck sure. driving up every day to their apartment. There you go. Well, then their parents would come visit them. And I was the manager, so they'd come to me at the clubhouse. Yeah. And they hadn't seen their kid in a year or two. And the kid would come in, the student, their, their daughter, their son or daughter, typically it was the daughter, yeah. would come in and be like twice the size that she was when she came. And the parents' eyeballs would just be huge. And it was, just, it was shock and shame. Sure. They were embarrassed. They would actually change color in front of me. Uh, and they just didn't know how to respond to that, to see their daughter had put on 50 pounds. And you're talking about somebody who was 110 when yeah. they showed up. So I don't know where I'm going with all that, but I, I just want to say that... that, that uh, it's the, the ed- we, talk, we were talking about the education, the education and the shame. And you know, we always try and... Hey, if you didn't know, no problem. No, we're not being critical of you. Don't feel bad. But now you fucking know. So now you can't do it anymore. You can't eat like this anymore. You can't act like this anymore. And I agree. Fuck you if you try and feed your children like this or set templates for your children to follow out for the rest of their life. Yeah, they'll do what you do. Of course. You have to set a good example. If you don't exercise, they won't exercise. If yep. you sit in front of the TV all day, they'll sit in front of the TV all day. If you make, you know, if you get out your white flour and your sugar and, and bake something, yep. that's not food. Yep. And if you feed it to your kids, then they're going to have the same problems. And you look at the obesity rates and the uh, and the diabetes. Skyrocketed. Childhood diabetes. Skyrocketing. Childhood obesity. Skyrocketing. Yeah. And it's, we say... If you take little Johnny to McDonald's after hitting the winning home run, or you take little Sally to KFC after getting an A-plus on her report card, yeah. fuck you. We start rewarding all these behaviors. That's the problem in Samoa. They Poisoning celebrate them. everything with food. A, a, a graduation, a wedding, uh, even uh, a death in the family. Yeah. They'll celebrate with food. food. And it's if it's the right food, and what we say is you want to celebrate Take them to the grocery store. Let them pick out the potatoes that are going to feed the family that night. Let them pick out the eggs that you're going to whip and make into the whatever, and then go home. And as a family, you make their meal together in celebration of them, now empowering them to buy real food, to take home and prepare real food, to have that unconditional loving atmosphere in the kitchen with the family preparing this meal on this special night. If you really want to reward your child and help them build that template that they'll do with their children and reverse what, because we're fucked, essentially. Our generation, you know, look at what's happening right now, but we're young enough and old enough to teach down to our children so they don't have to be... There's nothing new about that either. When I was in elementary school, you are what you eat was the yep. big poster on the wall. Yep. It's, it's not the... That's offensive. That's new. It's offensive, man. Yeah. But that, there it was, you know, and they were getting rid of chocolate milk, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. And, you know, they were, they were these, these things, this has gone on... Of course, they also would get mad at you if you didn't eat all your food. They would parade Finish. it around and Absolutely. show it to you. Finish your food. And I ran into that in Samoa when I asked. Uh, I was at a, at, a, at a restaurant, and I uh, it was one of those lines where you walk through, and she, she put two big, huge hamburger patties on my plate. And I said, no, only one. And, and she goes, well, you get, you get two. It comes with two. I said, no, I only need one. Yeah. And she looked at me. Like I was crazy. It comes with two, and I didn't want to offend her, so I said, "Oh, okay, okay." <laughs> but uh, the, the the I had a chance to sit with the store owner, the restaurant owner, yeah. and he said one time he said uh, their food costs went up, and so that they decreased the portion sizes. And he said he got so much negative feedback wow. from people that he just raised the price, and nobody complained. 
They wanted those huge portion sizes. Interesting. It's about quantity, and and the, the the money at that point didn't matter. Yeah. You touched on so many things there, and we've kind of I've gone into this. I hate having this conversation because uh, without weighing in on whether something's addictive or not, yeah. um, I will say that 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 losing weight is is seems to be even more difficult than getting off drugs. Yeah, alcoholism, cigarette smoking, etc. Seems like the recidivism rate is upwards of, of 95, 96, 97 percent of people who lose weight and gain it back. Yeah, and that's a very difficult place to be because we've we, you and I, and a lot of people like us, uh, we measure our success in life on on our successes. You yeah. know, and, and this is an industry that's wrought with failures uh, and, and very short term, uh, you, you know, upsides. But long term, it seems like. Uh, people are failing yeah. at this. Um, and then you, you mentioned, you said, we're fucked. Yeah. And I want to be cautious. We, as a generation, and we'll say the, the you know, 35 to 55-year-old generation, essentially, that has been barred by corporate capitalistic marketing campaigns using very sophisticated psychological techniques yeah, to completely yeah. change the mindset of a generation. We look at the proliferation of ge- genetically modified crops here in the United States yeah. as are banned all across Europe and other areas simply because lobby money is so high, pharmaceutical yeah. dollars so high. Yeah. You know, medical industry, sugar industry, corn industry, cattle industry, dairy, all so high. So I say we've, we grew up not knowing it was happening and now we're wise enough to look and say, son of a bitch, they got us, yeah. but not my kids. Right. And that's what I mean by, quote, we're, we're fucked. Like, In terms of the mindset and the knowledge and, and what have you. Because uh, I want to say on a positive note that, that the, the human body is pretty amazing. Hell and yeah. it can recover from an extraordinary amount of abuse. Yeah. And you've got people who have been drug addicts. You've got people who have been you know, uh, uh, obese, uh, morbidly obese yeah. for many, many years. Uh, people who have smoked for 30 years, a pack a day who have decided at one point in their lives, no matter what age you are, and this is where I, I like to, to, to start my campaign of looking forward, no matter where you are, we talk about going from zero to one, doesn't matter where you are, you can make small steps that can make huge improvements in your health and your well-being. Every single person I ever talked to has lost even 10 or 15 pounds, says they feel great. I don't even think we realize how horrible we feel Yeah, because we're so used to feeling horrible. That becomes normal. The brain fog, the being tired all the time. That's just normal. Whether it be sleep apnea, whether it be obesity, high blood pressure, uh, insulin resistance, type two diabetes, that kind of thing. I don't think people even realize how horrible they feel until they lose 10 or 15 pounds until they feel better. You can fix just about anything. Yeah. Uh, somebody who's smoked for 30 years can stop smoking, and their lungs will recover pretty significantly. Sure. And their rate of long-term uh, disease goes down, uh, and their, their health as prospect goes, goes way up. Uh, uh, people's uh, all-cause mortality improves an incredible amount just from the little things that we talked about, just from making a modification in total calories first, and exercising regularly. You don't even have to be an expert on diet. Now, part of the problem with doing uh, shows and, and, and talking about diet and looking at all the different diets that are out there is it confuses people. Sure. And we've made it so difficult so they can buy something from us. And I, it's much easier than that. Anybody can start today 
without having to figure out which protein powder to buy or which diet to get on, just by reducing the total in- calories that they consume yep. and taking the 10-minute walk after each meal. Yep. That would, in 30 days, you could lose, you know, I hate to put a number on it, but I've seen it over and over and over again. People lose 20, 30 pounds. Absolutely. I was going to say 10 to 30. Easy. 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 Just by being healthier, not following this strict, hardcore template diet, which yeah. will usually break them within 90 days. I mean, yeah. 90 days would be the maximum, and they're right back to who they were prior. But every time we turn around, somebody's like, oh, meat will cause cancer. Well, you look at the studies that are 200 years old of people yeah. who just eat meat, the yeah. Intuit, uh, you know, in Alaska, uh, uh, the, the Eskimos, uh, the Native Americans, um, you know, the Indian Americans, uh, the, in Africa, the tribes who just ate meat. Yeah. Not a single fruit or vegetable anywhere to be seen have all fared extremely, extremely well. And now all of a sudden, meat's bad for you. And again, dose dependent. Everybody responds That's differently. How thing. much you eat How is much? important. But we've just found that, that, that now that we've started demonizing foods, nobody knows where to turn. Yeah. Meat's bad. Milk's bad. Bread's bad. You know, and in some circumstances, all of it can be. But if you just push away yeah. and reduce you know, the really awful things, the super calorie-dense things, and what you find out is the things that taste the best, the mixture of fat, sugar, and salt, those three together are euphoric, that yep. you'll eat more of them. And that's one of the main reasons that I recommend reducing carbohydrates, uh, particularly sweet things, is because it just causes you to eat more calories. It's not necessarily that they're bad for you. As a coach for athletes, I encourage carbohydrate consumption because it, it makes you perform better yeah. as an athlete. But if you're somebody who has to watch calories, when you start blending or food manufacturers do this for you. They give you those foods in a certain mixture. It, it's science. They do it. They, they test people to see Absolutely. who's going to eat the most if I blend this percentage of fat, uh, sugar, and salt together and give it to you. It's going to be very palatable. You're going to want more of it. Uh, so it, yeah, they're working against you, but you don't have to be a, a victim here. You know, you, you, you need to first eat less. And I said, if somebody can just switch from, and people hear this and, and they, they think I'm terrible, switch from uh, a regular soda to a diet soda. I'm not a big soda guy. I never drink diet soda. I would never yeah. recommend an athlete drink diet soda. I would never put it on a permanent diet plan for somebody. But if it's an improvement over the current status quo, and it sure. causes you to, to decrease total calories consumed and uh, to thereby lose some weight, I'll make that suggestion. We talked before about the McDonald's diet. Somebody, a, 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 a teacher did the 1,850 calorie day diet just eating at McDonald's. Yeah. He lost weight. He lost over 30 pounds in 30 days. Uh, he, he walked for 40 minutes a day. He improved his blood sugars. He improved, improved his cholesterol. He in, improved uh, his blood pressure. Uh, another doctor did it with a 7-Eleven diet. Somebody else recently did that with the ice cream diet of all things. I would mm-hmm. never recommend any of these diets, but in a calorie deficit... Uh, along with exercise, you can lose weight. Um, I encourage people to, to, to eat the kinds of things that they can, you know, everybody says, what's the best diet? And that's the one that you'll, you'll do, the one sure. that you'll maintain. Um, and so 
when I start to settle in a diet, I, I hate to, to be that guy that, that demonizes foods or confuses people even further. I, I thought butter was bad. Well, now I'm seeing it's good. And I thought bacon was bad. And, and here they're saying it's good. Saturated fat's bad. You know, Time Magazine had that big cover in the 1970s about uh, eggs and bacon being bad for you, saturated fat, whatever. And then yeah. more recently, they had the butter on the cover. Hey, butter's back. Yeah. Uh, you know that's why people are confused. That's why they're frustrated because everybody wants to go in and, and attack uh, a particular food. And it generally tends to, to to be based on a financial interest, like 100%. you just said. That's what it's the about. The grain industry, or the the vegetable oil industry, or the even the meat and the dairy industry. They're all industries. Yeah. Even organic foods Absolutely. is an industry, a billion dollar, multi billion dollar industry. Most of which come from China. Yeah, so you know, get off your high horse. And and, you know, people talk about whether it's vegan or vegetarian or whether it's you know just meat or whatever else. Everybody wants to weigh in, attack everybody else. Get on PubMed, grab the research that supports their uh, you know their position, uh, and and go out on this war and this campaign of 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 insulting everyone else and, and saying that you know your plan is best. And it confuses the consumer. Yeah. Now, I want to take this, this a little bit differently. Who's the most impressive lifter you've ever seen, you've ever trained with, competitive or not, doesn't matter, the most impressive human being that you've actually seen either as an um, audience member, a training partner, or a, a competitor? Boy, it's hard to narrow it down. I tell you, I've never trained uh, with... Uh, uh, some of the greatest lifters. Uh, I've trained with a lot of them, but uh, pr- the most impressive person, strength and size, and everything I've ever uh, been around is Hofthor Bjornsson, the mountain from Game of Thrones. And there you I, go. It's been fortunate. He reached out to me late last year to help him with his nutrition program to get ready for the world's strongest man, and that's been a hell of a journey. And it's been exciting because he's such an impressive uh, individual. What are his he, basic physical stats so we can get a picture? We've oh, seen him on TV. it's ridiculous. He's uh, Six feet, eight inches tall, wow. uh, right around 400 pounds. Jesus. He was 420 in last year's World's Strongest Man. And he took second to Brian Shaw, well, yeah. well-known name, and, a, and a, another 400, a six foot seven, 440 pound Jesus. guy. Just monstrous. It's a whole other world. And he came to me, he said that he was, his strength hasn't been increasing and his body fat seems to be going up, but not his muscle or strength. And... After the world's strongest man, he took second to to Brian Shaw, and uh, you know I keep thinking to myself every time I come across an athlete like this, I, I think, well, how am I going to help this guy? He's already one of the best in the world. You know, certainly he has you know his shits all together, and he's, you know, I couldn't imagine being at his place. You know, his strength and size and and uh, you know, athletic accomplishments. Sure. So how could I help? And then as I start to ask questions, I start to find out that there's huge holes in his game. And it really came down to what we started off here with uh, how food affects the hormones of the body and how nutrient partitioning, how your body utilizes those foods, creates, uh, you, you know, whether or not you're going to be more muscular and stronger, whether or not you're going to be gaining fat. Turns out he had sleep apnea and he wasn't using a CPAP. That drastically affects your blood pressure and it affects your blood sugars, your insulin sensitivity. Um, and it turns out that he was low in vitamin D. I had him get a blood test. And that drastically affects your blood sugars and your sleep, uh, and thereby your recovery. Uh, There were a few other problems he had. Uh, You know, if your liver enzymes are elevated, then the toxins aren't getting processed out of your system. You're going to be tired. Uh, It's going to be really difficult for you to perform optimally uh, as a result of of elevated liver enzymes. And... um, 
so what, what I went about, and then his schedule was horrendous sure. being with the Game of Thrones. They were flying him all over the place. So I talked to his manager and I find out, well, he's flying on red eyes or he's getting to places at one o'clock in the morning and then having to order room service. He's not bringing his food. Uh, he's landing at hotels that don't have a kitchen or a kitchenette or what have you. Um, and so we tried to remedy some of uh, what I call the logistics yeah, to where he would get places a little sooner. He would travel during daytime hours. So his clock wasn't all messed up. His, uh, uh, his sleep would be improved. We'd make sure that he had food with him or it was at his hotel when he arrived or this hotel had a, a kitchen so he could pick up a few things and, and eat. Um, we got him a CPAP, got him on vitamin D. Uh, we had him drop some weight because at 420, he was insulin resistant. Sure. Had him come down to about 395. Wanted to get him insulin sensitive again and then rebuild him. Uh, sounds like $6 million man, better than before. But it's true because you're dealing with one of the greatest athletes on the planet. Yes. Yeah. So it, it is, you know. The, and the goal wasn't to, to, to be as good as he is. It's to get better. And yeah. sometimes you've got to take a step back. You've got to improve your, your health. Uh, now, I'm doing a rant right now on fitness and health are two different things. And sure. what it takes to become a world's strongest man isn't necessarily healthy. Yeah. But optimizing your health can help you, uh, you know, get to where you want to be. Yes. Uh, it can improve your fitness. And that's true of just about any sport. You know, look at the um, uh, CrossFit National Championships. It's like a rock tape convention. Yeah. You know, that's true of any sport where you're pushing yourself to your limits, you know, whether it be UFC fighter, uh, a football player. You know, uh, competing at that level is not a healthy pursuit. And nope. you're, you're going to endure a lot of pain and, and you're, you're going to beat the shit out of your body. But your ability to, to compete at that level and to get better and for a longer period of time is going to depend on your attention to your health. The little things, whether or not you're sleeping well, whether or not you got your blood tests and you're remedying deficiencies, whether or not you're recovering, you know, managing uh, your mobility and your your recovery from workouts. Yep. Uh, so, we uh, started implementing the 10 minute walks to improve his insulin sensitivity. Uh, uh, also, I, I I got away from a lot of the grains because they they tend to cause insulin resistance problems. Uh, and I and I again I hate demonizing foods, but I went I, I had to. I'm going to coin a term here, which is very bro science. And, and bro it up. I call it vertical dieting. Okay. And when I come across an athlete who's eating horizontally, they'll get up in the morning and have IHOP, and they might have uh, fast food for lunch, and they might have uh, uh, you know, pizza for dinner, and then in between, just whatever, a burrito, whatever they get. You know, that, that's a horizontal diet. They're yeah. eating anything and everything whenever they can. Uh, and uh, what I try and do is I try and narrow down those foods and I try and select the kinds of foods that, that it's easier for the body to digest because an athlete like this needs to eat a lot of food. And a lot of allergies are dose dependent. Yeah. And if I can get them away from certain foods that may trigger reactions, in many cases, it could be things like legumes from burritos. Beans are really difficult to digest. Yeah. It might be wheats in quantity. And remember, when I, uh, I'm not going to demonize a food in, in, in its entirety, but I'm going to say that it's dose dependent. And when Especially you. Especially at the size of, of Thor, Thor? Thor, yeah. Of Thor. So the quantity he was consuming. Oh, yeah. he, I mean, he's got to eat north of seven, 8,000 calories a day just to maintain his size. Wow. Uh, but if I can get a more efficient seven or 8,000 calories in there that the body utilizes better and, and it, it decreases you know, the inflammation of the gut um, and it, it stimulates thyroid and it, uh, it improves insulin sensitivity, uh, then I think he can get more value out of, out of the food without having to just keep stuffing and stuffing and stuffing himself and just fight through all of the bloating and the, the indigestion and all that other stuff. Yep. And so uh, one of the things that I did is, is uh, I got him away from eating like five different protein sources at once. I, I think that, that the, the stomach becomes a little schizophrenic at that point. I want it to be efficient at processing uh, a, a smaller 
uh, variety of proteins so that you can start to introduce more and more and more of that protein and the body becomes more efficient at digesting it. Sure. Rather than uh, getting up in the morning and have uh, bacon and eggs and uh, oatmeal and uh, milk and uh, you got five different protein sources you're starting to try and introduce there. Yeah. Um, I got him to eat one protein source. And that doesn't mean the same protein source every meal all day every day. It just means that at any given meal I tried to minimize his protein sources down to one or two so his body would more easily digest those. And then slowly over time grow the volume of that uh, so he could get more calories, more protein, and his body would utilize it uh, better yeah. and more efficiently. Uh, and I would use, I would get the high return on investment foods. And this is somewhat controversial because red meat to me is a high return on investment food. It gives, it's higher in iron, heme iron in particular. It's more, especially for a strength athlete, especially for a strength athlete. It's more biologically available protein. It's, it's easy for your body to, to, to utilize. Uh, it's got more magnesium and zinc. Um, it, uh, creatine, uh, just over say a chicken breast, yeah. uh, saturated fat. Uh, is uh, really important for a hard training athlete. And so I use the food that gives me the biggest bang for my buck, the highest return on my investment, and, and, and that's going to be red meat. But I also include dairy products. I think the calcium is important. I think that uh, um, dairy is, uh, has a, for, for a lot of people, can have a lower impact uh, on, on the gut than, than say, uh, uh, like a turkey uh, that ate soy, <laughs> and now you're yeah, now you, easy, you know, buddy. <laughs> and, and again, it's it's about stimulating uh, you know the right hormones, yeah. and and you know people love to eat ground turkey, but it, it, it's it's going to stimulate estrogen. How um, did his body change, and over what period of time? Because you got him from 420 down to 395, improved yeah. insulin sensitivities. Yep, went yep. to a changed the horizontal diet into more a vertical diet. Yeah. I, I decreased the the amounts of different foods he was eating because there was too many, but I still wanted to have a variety in there so he didn't have any deficiencies. Obviously, yeah. introduce uh, uh, some uh, you know vegetables and uh, that are what I call low raffinose vegetables. Uh, they're they're not high in oligosaccharides, and so you don't create a lot of methane. The indigestible fibers. Sure. There's some that are easier to digest than others, and one thing first and foremost is we cook them uh, and use something like spinach uh, as opposed to uh, broccoli uh, or asparagus because uh, it tends to have be easier to digest. Um, and another thing, you can kind of get this off of the it's sort of a hybrid of a FODMAP sort of okay. uh, uh, you know, FODMAP, and you could you could go in and see that which foods are harder to digest and easier to digest. So a lot of science has gone into that. And this isn't um, you know just something I'm pulling out of my my ear here. Uh, and you can find out which foods create a lot of gas to digest, uh, indigestible fibers, things that are full of, uh, say, phytic acid. Uh, you know, beans is another one that, that uh, is very difficult to digest. Uh, brown rice in quantity can be difficult to digest. Yeah. Um, and even milk uh, in quantity if you have a lactose intolerance or a casein allergy. So we had to watch all of those things. Uh, got him down to 395, got him insulin sensitive, um, started to work his way back up with those calories, uh, ended up at the Arnold Classic at 440. Jesus. Stronger than he'd ever been before, set world records, set his personal records, uh, took a close second. He's one rep away from beating Brian Shaw wow. at, at that show. Turned right around and went and won UK's strongest man. I think it was UK's strongest man. Beat Eddie Hall. Yep. Uh, wow. Turned right around and went down and did the world's strongest man in Africa. And one of the goals there was to get him there early enough so he didn't have uh, jet lag, didn't have, sure. uh, uh, wasn't um, 
retaining water and had his own food down there yeah. so that most of the guys that go there end up eating local food and then the next thing you know they're pissing out their ass they've got some sort of bug or something it happens all the time yeah. these guys who travel uh, he took second to Eddie Hall he beat Brian Shaw for wow. the first time at that show Eddie Hall beat uh, one by one point um, and Hofthor uh, turned right around a couple weeks later and went and won uh, uh, an invitational up in Iceland, and then a couple weeks later won the Iceland's Strongest Man. Well, uh, as an aside, what do those guys make at that level? So he's in the top three in the world, and they're trading spots. What yeah. are those guys pulling in per competition? Is it all sponsor money? Next to nothing. Next to nothing. It's really That's small. Crazy. Yeah, they have, to, they have to rely on sponsorship on the side or promoting themselves. Hofthor has some products. He obviously has... Uh, you know, been successful with uh, Game of Thrones sure. and his his appearance on that. Uh, he's a businessman. He's got his own vodka line. He's got uh, clothing. Uh, really smart guy. Very yeah. hardworking. But it's not coming from the sport. No, no. And you find the same thing in bodybuilding. You know, the the payout that you get from winning shows only the top few guys might make enough to pay their bills. And that's really if you're not inside the top five in the Olympia. You're not making more than a year's worth of income at a time. No, no, nowhere it's close. It's a short term. Yeah. A lot of these guys, uh, that's what's interesting is that they, they do it. They love it. Uh, the the ones who are uh, industrious and uh, entrepreneurial can, can get Jay an income Cutler on the side. Mind, right? Yeah. You know, Jay has done very well and still does very well yep. traveling all over the world. I see him from time to time at airports or okay. you know, bump into each other at an event somewhere, whether it be an expo or, or something. Uh, and he's uh, he's out you know, working his ass off and does is very successful because he's a great entrepreneur. Sure. And he has that, that big, broad mindset. Yeah. He, I was going to say one more thing ahead. about Hofthor that I introduced, and, and we talk a lot about this in, in the UFC, particularly in weight, uh, in weight cuts, et cetera. Uh, sodium. Yeah. And minerals and electrolytes in general. Sodium, yeah. potassium, calcium, magnesium. Hugely important for sports performance. Absolutely. I spoke of this. So overlooked. Rant. So overlooked. Yeah. There's people out there trying to take creatine, thinking they're going to get a big performance bump, and they're not even paying Thank attention you. to their sodium Thank intake. You. Yep. Uh, they're stepping over $100 bills to pick up nickel. Yep. Sodium's monstrous. Yep. And people who deplete sodium yep. for more than 48 hours, right before an essential weigh-in or something, are absolutely hurting themselves in their performance. Yeah. Even the guys who will wear these uh, rubber suits in training when they're a month Boxers out from... Boxers typically do yeah, that, yeah. I don't know so where arcane. that came from. It is archaic. Suffer. Yeah. It came from the uh, the early, early, early days where there was no sophisticated uh, training methodology and the, the athletes would put on heavy, like, burlap sweatsuits and yeah. they would go and shadow box in the barn and go for these long That's runs. That's ridiculous. They would eat steak and they would swallow the juice but not the meat. It was from that type yeah. of mentality, yeah. you know? There's some stupid stuff. Turn of the century. Yeah. <laughs> that hasn't changed very much in the sport of boxing or in the sport of amateur wrestling. Yeah. Mixed martial arts has been a little broader but not that far in making some updates, but yeah. not, not all the way. So uh, continue. Well, particularly, you know, and with salt, even yeah. iodized salt, because yeah. it stimulates the thyroid. You know, we've had a huge problem with goiter in the U.S. back in the 20s and uh, the early 1900s. Uh, the goiter belt was the, the northern uh, part of the United States because the, the soils were, were void of, of iodine. Yeah. And when and my my father is eighty six year old eighty six years old remembers that growing up the big goiters you know the, the iodine deficiency uh, yeah. uh, people in his in his small town uh, so we uh, the CDC put 
iodine in table salt. And it still to this day, they consider it to be one of their greatest achievements. Uh, and I know now we've got all these, we got the food babe out there trying to tell us that everything's going to kill us. You need yeah. certain minerals and electrolytes, yep. uh, iodine being one of them. Uh, obviously, an excess of anything can, can be a problem. Yep. But it, it's very important. Um, and now we're on this big salt campaign now. It's another thing that's being demonized and telling people to eat below 2,500 milligrams of salt. And what the long-term research shows us is that if you eat below 2,500 milligrams of salt a day, you increase your all-cause mortality. Yep. Uh, there seems to be a range, 2,500 to 7,500 seems to be the acceptable range for, for health. Now add in an athlete who's training twice a day and some salty sweaters might burn up five grams a day of sodium. Yep. And if you're supposed to be taking in six, seven grams, which is what an average is worldwide, that's yep. an average. If you're supposed to take in about somewhere five to seven grams a day on average, and then you're burning five or seven grams, that, now you're up to 10 or 14. Yep. Uh, and people need to pay attention to that because it's going to drastically improve their performance. When PhDs uh, talk about um, hydration, they say that drink when you're thirsty, but pay attention to your minerals and electrolytes. Dehydration and sports and performance uh, and sports performance is less about the water and more about a deficiency of minerals and electrolytes. Yeah. Sodium, potassium, and calcium fire every muscle in the body. That's your, that's your nerves. That's, the, you know, that's your neurons and the chemical exchange that, that fires every muscle in the body. It helps with sports performance, uh, endurance, stamina. Uh, it helps with strength. It helps with recovery to an extraordinary amount. It helps uh, with um, glycogen and water uptake into the muscles uh, both before and after workouts. All of this stuff is extremely important for performance. I put out this uh, rant, and I spoke about it in great detail, and referenced people to literature, and I took a huge hit from uh, you know, the blogosphere, from people sure. telling me that I was going to kill people, and they're generally Absolutely. referencing their you know, grandmother who's uh, sedentary and obese in a, uh, somewhere with hypertension, and that I was going to kill those people. Uh, it's taken out of context, which is what everybody tends to do. Of course, um, sound bites. Yeah, sound bites. Uh, but put in context, I can't tell you how many people approached me or emailed me or messaged me. I don't even know where all these damn messages come from nowadays. You've got the Facebook and the direct message. and I look around online, and there's shit that people have sent me from months ago I never knew existed. But they're all saying the same thing. Stan, I increased my sodium. You know, my cramps went away, my endurance, my stamina, my strength increased. I mean, in a huge, huge way, the how, performance. How many people believe that their cramping is due to potassium, low potassium, so they go and they eat a couple bananas? Yeah, yeah. When oftentimes, what we say, it's an imbalance between sodium and potassium. That's typically the problem. Yeah. Increasing potassium doesn't wipe it away, no. sometimes taking sugar, no. a packet of white sugar will actually wipe away the cramps, but also increasing the sodium intake yeah. will actually eradicate cramps because they're sodium deficient. Like you say, they're training hard, they're working, they're sweating, so their body is missing this vital micronutrient, and their body's yeah. craving it or you know screaming out for it. Yeah, yeah. And what we see in MMA, a lot of the guys that miss weight, and girls I should say, is because their coaches, their gurus, if you will, are dropping sodium five, seven, ten days before competition, thinking drop sodium, drop carbs, they'll drop water weight, boom, we're done. They don't have a deeper understanding, not knowing we have to preserve and maintain a, a relative sodium level. Yep. There's also... Uh, a ratio between sodium and potassium that yeah. allows the body to purge. Well, your weight. body's better at 
ridding sodium. Your kidneys can rid up to 30 plus grams of sodium. Your body's better at regulating that in relation to potassium yep. as if you consumed more potassium and tried to regulate it that way. Yep. It, it tends to work a little, your body's more efficient at, 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 at regulating sodium. Interesting study, I think it was uh, in, in Russia, cosmonauts uh, spent, I think in one case, 200 days, another case, 500 days. Uh, they had three groups of cosmonauts, and one group ate four grams of sodium, one group ate eight, eight grams of sodium, one group ate 12 grams of sodium. They presumed that the, the higher sodium intake people would, would be thirstier and drink more water, and turns out they drank the same. But the higher sodium people actually uh, expelled more water, and they measured all of this. They measured their water intake, they measured their, uh, the amount of water that they expelled, and the amount of sodium in the water. The higher sodium intake people, and, and by the way, none of this adversely affected their, their blood pressure, uh, the 12 gram a day of sodium intake. Um, the 12 gram sodium people who took in 12 grams would expel more water because the, the body uses water to, uh, to titrate the sodium and the potassium, right? Yep. Uh, it attaches to, it dilutes the sodium and, and then excretes it. And what they found is, is that that it increased their metabolism and caused them to metabolize more fat and proteins to get the water from that to expel the sodium. They were much, much, much hungrier, the 12-gram-a-day people as opposed to the 4-gram-a-day people. Uh, and the comparison was to, say, uh, a camel in the desert using the fat from its humps as water source. Sure. And so... Uh, it did not increase the need for water. It increased the body's, uh, the body's metabolism to draw water from its own uh, fat and protein stores. Interesting. Yeah. So, it, it, And then they went on and did a rat study to follow that up that, that, uh, that found that their metabolism increased and they could eat more food and not gain any more weight okay. as a result of the sodium in, uh, increased intake. And I find that, that athletes who are, who are really high on, on sodium, uh, who train hard and eat a lot of Absolutely. protein, steak, etc. can't gain a lot of weight. I have to feed them a lot of carbs to get them to gain weight. And that, you know, that can be a device that we use intentionally. Sure. Uh, and so if I've got someone pre-contest that's trying to lose weight, say a bodybuilding show or something, uh, and I increase their sodium and, uh, they'll, without increasing, uh, significantly increasing their water intake, they'll lose weight their metabolism will increase. So, you know, we use these tactics of, of stimulating hormones in the body uh, to try and manipulate it, but hunger is a big, big challenge sure. with people who are losing weight. And so I'm saying if you, if you start putting a ton of salt on your food when you're trying to diet, you're going to be you're going to be hungry. It's going to burn more more fat and muscle yeah. to dilute the sodium take out of the body. But you're going to be damn hungry, hungry even yeah. more. <laughs> now, before we get going, I want to talk about your recent appearance on Shark Tank. Oh yeah, yeah. And, I mean, we don't want to glance over this. And last time you were here with Flex, you guys actually oh, yeah. gave me yeah, yeah. The cooler, the cooler with a K. And this is actually it, it's it's a revolutionary product that definitely scratched the itch in yeah. the market in that and I'll let you tell the public tell the, the listeners exactly what this is what it does but also the genesis from your first thought of wait a minute I need this to you going on Shark Tank and striking a deal with Damon John yeah you know it kind of it builds on what we were just talking about about having proper nutrition yep. uh, and minerals and electrolytes sodium intake etc yep. I've been training 
high school collegiate professional athletes for almost 25 years. Yeah. And one of the biggest problem was is making sure that they had adequate water and adequate nutrition. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen water as being the be-all, end-all. Uh, I've always thought that they needed plenty of protein, carbohydrates, minerals, and electrolytes, and they wouldn't bring it to practice. And I would want them to drink water and have access, like at halftime or after the game, uh, to sodium and carbohydrates in particular for the immediate uh, help in their performance and recovery. Yep. Uh, and they wouldn't bring it. And so when I was coaching football or helping football teams uh, uh, in Northern California, it was a real hot summer, and the kids didn't have any nutrition with them. And sometimes these practices would last three hours. And I couldn't imagine going three hours, particularly during football practice, without having some sort of uh, you know, calories, carbohydrates, uh, maybe protein, uh, certainly sodium. And so I put together this thing that would carry perishables. And so I, they could fill it full of ice water, and they could drop a shaker bottle down inside and have a cold drink uh, that could be full of proteins, carbs, and, and sodium. Yep. Uh, I know people talk a lot about chocolate milk now and whatever, you, however you feel about that. The fact of the matter is, is it has carbohydrates, it has proteins, and it has salt. And this right here is one gallon. That's 1.3. 1.3 gallon. That's in here. With the shakers inside, it's, it's one full gallon. There we go. Yeah. And whether or not you need that much or not, it's, a, it's, you know, it's an insulated container that holds it all. Uh, it's like money. Better to have too much than too little, right? Yeah, yeah. And I used to have to bring drinks for the football players that I trained yep. in, in college, the, the 95 Rose Bowl team from the University of Oregon Ducks. Yep. I worked with a lot of those oh, players. Wow. And one of the biggest things I had to do, all those guys trained hard. Yep. They would train all day long if you let them. Sure. None of them uh, recovered very well. None of them slept well enough. None of them ate well enough. And so I would always bring uh, these these drinks for them. Yep. And, uh, you know, without getting into the, the whole argument about the anabolic window and whatever, ever. These guys have trained twice a day. Sure. And I've just found as an athlete and as someone who's coached high-caliber high athletes, when I give them a significant amount of nutrition post-workout, they recover better and perform better than next workout. 100%. Regardless of whatever you define and, the anabolic window to be. And you've tested that on yourself, and Absolutely. it's the same thing. Me too. Every other coach, every other athlete knows this to be true. So the, we can debate anything. Yeah. And the debate is out there because no, and only three meals a day, that's all you need. You don't need six meals a day. And it's yeah. Yeah. only, you know, whatever. So continue. The more I can feed an athlete, the more often of yeah. the right foods, uh, the better they perform. Especially when so depleted during that time yep. of depletion. What an opportunity we have to put the right nutrients back in. Yes. And the faster they recover, they could put more intensity and duration into each subsequent workout. And yep. if the law of repeated bouts allows me to, to increase their, their training frequency and intensity yep. because I improve their their nutrition and their sleep and recovery, then I can train more often and harder Winning. and they can get better. Yep. And that's really what it is. It's just keep cranking this thing up and redlining this this uh, this athlete and creating a whole new red line for them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I talk about the fact that, that your limits are set by your discipline outside the gym. Yep. You could come in and train as hard as you can, but it might not be as hard as you're potentially able to. Yep. Or as, as often, you can train as hard and as, as, as often as that from which you can recover. Yep. And if I can improve their recovery, then we can train harder and more often. And that's what kind of what the, the, the whole cooler concept is about. Uh, whether or not I'm a big fan of supplements, I am a big fan of getting plenty of nutrition in often. Yeah. Uh, and in the, you know, uh, certainly immediately followed thing. Training is a huge thing for me and for the athletes I train. And so I designed this. And as a business uh from a business perspective, it just became 
you know, more and more compelling as I'm marketing it to try and get it in front of as many eyes as possible. And so I tried out for Shark Tank. Sure. And uh, that's a show I put together a little corny presentation where I was lifting some shit. You know, it's made for TV. Like cars and small houses lifting some shit, says the rhino. And it got on TV. You know, it was you you, kind of learn over time that that it's it's really about the show. And sure enough, uh, when I aired on Shark Tank, uh, things started changing. I sold more product in two weeks following the Shark Tank than I did in the whole previous year. I bet. Uh, I'll be on HSN next month with it's it. Beautiful. You know, I made a deal with Damon John, and he's helped me uh, with some relationships. Of now, I'm creating the Cooler 2.0, which is an improvement on this. Of course, uh, it's it's just more durable and, and has uh, uh, removable protein powder cups, so you can carry okay. uh, you know additional items and a, a keychain holder, so you can uh, you know hook your keys to it, take it to the gym, what have you. Yeah. Um, and other vendors started calling me. Uh, Bed Bath & Beyond is now going to be carrying it. GNC contacted me. Yep. Uh, Walgreens contacted me for next spring, possibly. So, you know, just the marketing uh, ability of that. And, and I, you find out in business, all the businesses I've run, and this one included, much like training, is that uh, marketing is a constant thing. And what you do consistently, day in and day out, doesn't have to be, you know, f- some phenomenal, uh, earth-shattering performance, but it has to be consistent. And uh, we talked about Mark Bell's success yeah. with, uh, with the Slingshot and uh, ST Gym, Strong Gym and Power Magazine. Yep. Strongest uh, gym in the West. Yeah, back in Great 2009 branding. when I was competing or training with him, uh, he was going to have to close his gym down because they were going to raise his rent $400 a month and he couldn't afford it. Wow. And just by being consistent and just by That's Mark awesome. being Mark and just by constantly putting out content and creating a couple of products that he believed in and, and introducing them to his... his uh, uh, customer base. Yep. Uh, he doesn't make money off of his podcast. He doesn't make money off of his magazine. He, he, he gives his seminars for free and he doesn't charge for his gym. But that's the way he's created an audience by yeah. providing them information uh, and, uh, and now attaching to that some solid products. Uh, he's created a huge following. And, you know, I, I always tell his business because we talk about it. But uh, last year, I think he did well in excess of three or four million dollars in business. Wow. And that's that, you know, that's just Mark Bell, just yeah. a, an ordinary guy. Couldn't uh, pay his rent a few years couldn't ago. Couldn't pay his rent. No, dyslexic, struggled in high school, uh, you know, all that stuff. There's, now he's buying people Escalates. Now he's buying people Escalates. Right? You know, it's just brilliant what consistency uh, can do and, and desire. And uh, he's, he's done it. And that the cooler for me is just another example of, of uh, just, you know, just putting things out there that, that you believe in, that you, you know, your customers might help your customers, yep. uh, along with all the conversation that we have about all this uh, important things that go into becoming a great athlete or even sure. just improving your life and your health and your longevity and uh, minimizing disease, et cetera, uh, from, from just a responsible diet and exercise plan. Yeah. And I think that goes back to our, our first, I don't know if it was on the show or not, or just kind of us, us catching up was being authentic because I was complimenting you on your your success and your ability your your YouTube channel has just exploded you have <clears throat> excuse me hundreds of thousands of, of views on your your YouTube videos I'm sure millions and millions of views of to your your channel in a short period of time because yeah. you were always had a presence but you didn't really turn it on and over the last year two years or so took off I mean juggernaut status but you've just allowed the public to see who you are. And this is the guy I know. You're as authentic, as an intelligent, as caring, as compassionate, as fucking like aggressive and insane all at the same time. And, and I think that's the beauty of it. You're not playing a character. 
No, you're I'll being authentic, you that. and that's authentic to you also. It is. It really is. And I talked to you about that on the way in. I talked about the fact that for the longest time, I didn't really put out any content because I, I didn't have a particular character. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't think I was all that exciting. I'm, you know, I'm pretty level-headed. I tend to be a pragmatist. I, I just talk about, you know, how I got where I got, and to sure. me, that's not exciting. It was just, uh, you know, it's blue-collar stuff. Uh, and I look at a guy like Mark Bell, who's interesting. You know, he's the WWE guy, grew up on that kind of stuff. Yeah. He and his brother Chris and the bigger, stronger, faster stuff. And he loves to do his rap stuff and all that. But that's who he is. Yeah. That's the Mark I know. You know, he's corny, he's funny, and, uh, you know, that's just Mark. And I, I, that's not my personality. And then I look at uh, C.T. Fletcher, yeah. you know, and C.T. Fletcher's out there. But when I meet C.T., he's the same guy. You know, he's, he's an exciting guy to listen to and to talk to. And he's just being himself. He's not putting on a performance. Uh, I said the same thing about uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know, you see yeah. that guy in his quote unquote character and then you meet him in person. He's the same guy. And so for the longest time, I didn't put out any content because I don't have that character. I don't have a persona. And I couldn't create something. And I was always trying to think of a way I could be, uh, you know, more interesting or edgy. And after a while, I just realized you just got to do you because you can't fake it for the long term. Yep. And so I just started putting out these rants, talking about things that interested me. And, uh, and, and fo- folks seemed to like it. Uh, they responded in really positively. Uh, and so, you know, I should put out a whole lot more, but it's, it's time consuming. I have the businesses, yeah. I have kids, I have my own training, I'm sure. traveling all that I am. So it's really, really hard. Plus I tend to uh, micromanage my content too much. Okay. I tend to be concerned about the quality of it. I'm, I want to make sure people get good information that, uh, you know, and when folks, uh, jump in and criticize, I want to make sure that it's, it, 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 okay. it holds weight, you good know, for, that it, know, for, that it, know, that it, know, that it, that it, it ends yeah. the test of time that I'm not. Uh, putting something out there that's uh, uh, that's confusing folks or, or might be bad information. And it's hard because things change. I'm not the same guy now as I was 30 years ago. I don't sure. believe the same things as I did in college. I learned along the way. You know, I, I, I chased every down every rabbit hole I could over all of these years, looked under every rock and uh, trained with many, many, many of the greats, uh, coaches and athletes over the years, and have evolved uh, into, you know, the, the philosophies that I have today. And they tend to be pretty boring. They tend to be pretty pragmatic. They tend to be, uh, you know, what I call the intangibles. You know, it's just uh, discipline, consistency, time management, uh, things like sleeping and eating, and just Back to just the monotonously basics. focusing on the basics. I have a spreadsheet in my in my closet at home when I go in every morning, and I, I check off my body weight, yep. uh, how many oranges I ate, whether or not I had my daily carrot. Uh, how many meals I ate, yep. um, what supplements I took, vitamin D or vitamin K, or uh, you know my blood tests and the results of those, and uh, yeah. you know everything. You're A type, buddy. I still track it all. You are, and then I implement something to to improve, and yep. I monitor it for a month and see if it it results in any any kind of improvement. If you can measure it, you can improve it, right? Exactly. And so I encourage That's... folks to, to to create a plan and have a because then then when I have a when I'm having a shortage or a bad performance, I can look at that and see immediately, I track my hours of sleep, whether or not I got a nap, what time I got to bed, what time I woke up in the morning. And it only takes a second, you know, just bang, bang, bang. But when I look at that thing at a glance and I see big holes, you know, for like three, four, five days in a row or something, it's easy to tell why your performance is suffering. Absolutely. And I go in on squat to squat on Sunday. By Friday, I'm preparing for that. 
I'm spending the next 48 yeah. hours making sure, to, um, and even long before as a course from the chart, but every meal, every glass of water, every nap, every hour of sleep, every, you know, everything that I do is, is in preparation for that big, that one hour of pure enjoyment that I get that, for squatting well, once a week. Now, tell us about that a little bit, because I know we're getting you know close on time now. I want to talk about this the squatting that you're doing, the yeah. training that you're doing now, but it really it does seem to, and from what you're saying right now, it resol- revolves around the squatting. It really does. Take I think us it's the biggest through, return on investment. Take I, us through a, a day with Stan on squat day. I just think it does so much. I don't want to spend... I have kids. I got businesses. I got things to do. How old are your do. kids? The kids are five and three now. And I've got a, kids still. I've got an 18-year-old stepson that just started college at, at UNLV this fall. It's cool. exciting. But I, it, I don't want to spend all this time in the gym. Yeah. I spend less time in the gym than most people spend golfing nine holes on, on Sunday. Sure. Uh, and I, and I intend and you mean to keep per, week. per week per week. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. Clear. Uh, maybe four hours per week total yeah. is what I'll spend in the gym. Now what I do outside the gym in terms of this, this consistent discipline, I don't think that takes any extra time sure. than what from anybody else spends. Everybody sleeps. Everybody takes less time because you're more efficient. Exactly. Right? I, I don't have to, to go out and, and harvest for food somewhere at a fast food place yep. uh, because it's already prepped. Pantry's you know? full. Yep. That's right. Yep, me too. And it only takes me 10 minutes and I'm, I'm done. Yep. So I don't think I spend any more time. I think I save time and money by being organized. Uh, and so now I want the biggest return on investment. And I want to uh, spend more time being healthy so that when I get to the gym, I can train really intensely and I'm not suffering from you know, ongoing tendonitis or pain, which I've uh, you know, had a lot of over the years. Yep. And I've had to manage that uh, responsibly outside the gym by doing mobility, by eating better, uh, sleeping, my walks, uh, uh, those kinds of things. Then when I get to the gym, I want to make sure I get the most out of it. And an exercise like a squat, I'm getting you know such a huge benefit cardiovascular-wise, and I do more reps now. Yeah, and I, I call it hit under load. And as long as I'm putting my body under load, I think the whole body is adapting. Whether it be weighted carries or whether it be overhead presses, standing overhead yeah. presses, or whether it be squats, my whole body is adapting uh, and strengthening, particularly the core, the abs, and the lower back as stabilizers. And then from the traps to the ankles are all affected by. Uh, this loading mechanism that I'm using to lift. And depending on the rest periods and the, and the amount of weight, uh, uh, the amount of repetitions that I'm doing, I'm now positively benefiting my cardiovascular system. Yep. Uh, and so I'll go in and put in some pretty intense workouts, and, and they're not too terribly long, uh, and they're not too terribly heavy, uh, but the demand is significant. Define not too terribly heavy. Well, I'll do like, I'll work up to like 405 for 20 reps or something on the squat. And then people just crash their car because they <laughs> yeah. haven't touched four or five in their career, which yeah. is fine. Now, occasionally, like more recently, I was lifting a little heavier. Okay. I did uh, I triple to 600 squat okay. uh, on Sunday, and uh, I deadlifted, I think, 700 for a triple um, the previous Sunday. That just because you were feeling froggy? You felt good? I was good. feeling froggy. I feel good. I feel healthy. My knees yep. are great. You know, I, I, I utilized some exercise, those banded leg presses sure. and the walks, uh, um, a lot of mobility, so my knees are healthy. Yep. Um, I use a, a good range of motion. Yep. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of techniques that I use to try and keep myself healthy, mobility inside and outside the gym. And that's, you know, that's really important because my goal now, uh, you know, again, I said sometimes being fit doesn't mean you're healthy and sometimes competing can be very unhealthy. And now I have longevity as a focus and that's, uh, that includes joint health. Sure. You know, whether repetitive strain, tendonitis, things like that. 
uh, I want to try and avoid creating those kinds of problems for myself. I don't want to be limping around. Uh, you know, I want to be pretty relatively strong uh, and healthy and uh, mobile when I'm 60 yep. uh, as well as 70. So that's the focus for me. And I think that, that the impact on my cardiovascular system from keeping the reps a little higher and the rest periods a little shorter, but still using heavy enough weight so that I, I get the overall uh, uh, muscle stress uh, gives me the, the the best of both worlds. So when you so tonight you squatting tonight? Uh, no, I'll just do like on I only your squat. squat once a week, and then the alternate time I'll do like a banded leg press. Okay, so for your squat nights, how do you go about when you enter the gym? How do you warm up? How do you bridge up to? I'll usually your go to the leg weight? press machine, put some bands on it so that my knees get warm. I get some okay. blood in there. My uh, I, my my flexibility gets. Uh, improved or my sure. mobility. So Start that, pumping blood, really. Yeah, the first set's always, you know, my body responds by, by staying tight. Yeah. Um, and so I just have to kind of go through the motions for a little while. Uh, and then I'll get under the squat rack and just start slowly working up. 135, 2 and a quarter, 315, 405. For how many reps? I mean, are you hitting 20s all the way up? No, hitting... no. I, I, well, I, here's an important thing for me. I, I think that that, uh, that you have to continue to take your body somewhere it hasn't been before if you want to improve or get close to that failure point within a rep or two yep. uh, in order to affect some sort of response. If you keep doing the same things over and over, you're going to kind of stay at the same place. And if I want to progress, then then I have to take myself somewhere it hasn't been before. If I do 10 reps at 135 or 20 reps at 135 and I could have done 50, yeah. I'm probably not going to get much result from that. Yep. And it only takes me three to five reps to warm up if you want to, you know, just sure. to get a sweat on to get the mobility. And so I'll do a few reps at, 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 with the bar and a few reps with the 135, a few reps with two and a quarter, a few reps with 315, a few reps with 405. And then when I get to 500, I might start actually putting some effort into it. Uh, and then when I get to six, I'll try and take myself pretty close to, to, to failure. Yep. Uh, I'd say the same thing if you're doing like an inclined dumbbell press. If you're doing 10 reps at six, with the 60s, 10 reps with the 70s, 10 reps with the 80s, and then you get to the 90s and you do like eight reps and your spotter helps you with one more, you didn't do four sets. You did one. Only one yeah. of those sets did you take yourself somewhere where your body is forced to adapt. Uh, so why waste all that energy on the 60s, 70s, and 80s? Why not just do a couple, three reps, presuming that you're warm? And sure. warm for me is just you know, stand, swing your arms, Get your body temperature up and test your mobility, and then and then put a little tension on there so you make sure that, that you're not uh, adversely affecting the joints and the tendons, etc., and the muscle. A couple reps at the, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. Then when you get to 90s, now maybe you can do two really hard what I call growth sets, working yeah. sets, uh, to and then switch to another exercise and and not rewarm up again. Just yeah. do like one lighter set and then jump. It's kind of a Dorian Yates sort of philosophy, just thinking you that, know, yeah. uh, which I got prior to him kind of from, uh, uh, oh shoot, why is his name escaping me now? Everybody that's listening probably Menzer. Menzer, yeah, yeah. yeah. So these things have been around for a long time. I didn't invent these things, but I found that when athletes take their body somewhere it hasn't been before, they respond, uh, you know, either in terms of strength uh, or performance much better than if they just go in and try and a lot of folks now are just trying to do sets and reps and, you know, dot, dot their I's and cross their T's and it doesn't work that way. Maybe for a beginner, but as you progress, it becomes harder and harder to progress. Yeah. And so you have to continue to, to, to take your body somewhere it hasn't been before. Yep. All right. Now I want to ask you just, uh, brief answers on a few names or topics. Sure. Just a little fun time. Donald Trump. 
<laughs> right to it. I never talk about politics or religion because yeah. you lose half your audience. Absolutely. But I will say this because I've been so uh, disgusted with the state of politics, uh, the two-party system for yeah. so long that he may be creating an opportunity in the future for us to look differently at politics. Uh, I don't. I don't think they're in our best interest. The the, the parties. Uh, I think they work in their own best interest, and I think that, that Americans have been left behind. And uh, whatever changes Donald makes, uh, I think there's more to do with the future of politics and how the voters can now see a way to create uh, an environment that's that uh, you know a, a political environment that's better for them economically, socially, uh, that doesn't have to be. Uh, determined just by Democrat or Republican. So okay. that's, you know, that's my safe answer, my PC answer yeah. as to what I think this is doing for us long term, as opposed to worrying about all the minutiae right now. Well said. Yeah. Phil Heath. I like Phil. Phil takes a lot of abuse. Phil takes a lot I of feel abuse. Bad Self-created. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes. It, it, it's too bad because he's so gifted, that guy. Yeah. What an amazing physique. Uh, and, you know, one of the things I like about uh, Phil and, and those characters, I, I refer to them as characters because it's for me ever since the 80s, sure. reading the magazines and looking at these guys as superheroes. Remember back when, uh, what was his name, he used to dress up as Batman? and uh, Aaron Baker. Aaron Baker, right. yeah. I saw him up in Seattle a few years ago. How's he look now? Uh, he looks old like me. Oh. <laughs> not many. <laughs> but he still looks guys good. Guys look like He you. still looks good. Good. You know, but they're not the, the characters that we remember back back then. Yeah. Um, there were more characters back then, and, and now um, what I like is that is that there's so much variety now. Yeah. It, it, there's, they're all different, and it, it's brought so many more new people to the industry. You know, you need all of them. You need the Phils, the Kais, the, the Dennis Wolfs, the, the rest of them. But I, I'd like to see them be even more uh, unique individual. Kai's one who's actually... He's doing it. He's doing it. He yeah. set himself There's up as Aaron Baker to Akai, right? Yeah, yeah. The That's kind of the evolution the of it. Yep. And and even in a broader sense, the the introduction of of men's physique, uh, bikini figure, um, uh, and even the people that don't compete but have savage physiques or a, an amazing performance. Yep. Uh, even the CrossFit group, yep. uh, people on social media who who can do some pretty incredible things. Uh, all of that, I think, has has drastically improved the fitness industry as a whole. Even though we tend to cannibalize each other, yeah, we're 100%. always we're always attacking each other. As a whole, it's drawn so many more people and broadened the uh, the, the the whole palette, uh, you might say, of acceptable. Uh, uh, or of goals, uh, you know, the CrossFit women coming in and, and saying, hey, it's okay to squat. Yeah. It's okay to carry extra muscle and to have a, uh, you know, a lean or a muscular physique. So people aren't, aren't confined to one certain body type. When I started bodybuilding, it was bodybuilding. Yeah. And now you've got men's physique, uh, classic bodybuilding, uh, you know, CrossFit, et cetera, et cetera. So I may never become a bodybuilder because I was 135 pounds in college. Yep. I may have found myself into physique at, at 175, 190 and stopped there. Yeah. Uh, so I think it gives more people more opportunity to reach their goals. And with, with bodybuilding, there seems to be, and this from when I started paying attention, late 80s, early 90s, there was a lot more excitement 
because of the magazines, it seemed now from a income perspective, I don't know how big the market was, but certainly it was easier to, to sell magazine space, supplement space. And a lot of the athletes were notoriously on large five figure, six figure contracts. Yeah, easier those to don't get. exist anymore. You're right. Those don't exist anymore. Well, they've had to share that same, uh, they've had to share everything with the other competitors. Yep. Uh, with the, the physique, physique the with, figure, the, which yeah, are more marketable stuff. competitors too. Sure, which sure. is difficult. And CrossFit, which is hugely sure. popular, and MMA. Those yeah. guys are stepping out. Another big difference is is uh, the the physiques are very difficult to attain. You you have to have a, a significant genetic predisposition and advantage uh, to become a top body to builder. become a top bodybuilder. And it takes an extraordinarily long time. Very few of the pros that turned pros back in the eighties and nineties yep. spent less than a decade. Uh, sometimes much longer training to become that dedicated you can, to the craft. Yeah, dedicated yeah. to the craft. You can be a a, a a a soccer player in college, and within three months have prepared for a men's physique competition. Yeah. Uh, so you know the you don't have to spend ten years. Yep. Uh, and trying to completely transform, and in some cases, in many cases, in a in a very unhealthy way. Uh, your body, force feeding and, and training, uh, performance enhancing drugs, etc. You cannot compete uh, in a lot of these sports at a very top level, whether yeah. it be bodybuilding, whether it be strongman, whether it be even a lot of the top guys in, in NFL. We see CrossFit. You know, yeah. it's hard to compete unless you're significantly genetically advantaged without uh, maybe using performance enhancing drugs. Yeah. Uh, and whether or not you can do that safely uh, just depends on your knowledge level and uh, you know your your discipline in, in taking care of your body. And the performance enhancing drugs dramatically changes all sports. Bodybuilding is very obvious. It's more obvious because yeah. the nature is to stare at these physiques and really analyze. Holy shit, these athletes are yeah. superhuman. Yeah. You know, I always say bodybuilders are athletes, but bodybuilding is not a sport, essentially. I wouldn't define it through the, the confines of what sport is, but the athletes, yeah. the way they train, they're athletes, no doubt. Some of the hardest, most dedicated that will sacrifice everything for this, their you know, performance. There's also the risk, and we see and we hear about it, there is the risk of performance-enhancing drugs to drive those genetically elite to the top of the platform, the top five, top ten at the Olympia level. They've dedicated more, they've sacrificed more, they've been doing it for decades, even the most genetically gifted just to get there. And then they have to partake in, you know, the eating, yeah. massive amounts of, you know, 4,000, 6,000, 10,000 calories yeah. per day for yeah. weeks, months, the stringent 16, 24 week diets, but also the performance enhancing drugs, which that becomes more sophisticated. It seems to be over time, right? Everything does. Yeah. My iPhone is a hell of a lot more sophisticated. So the drugs also become more sophisticated. How, in your opinion, because you see it, you know, inside and outside, how dangerous is it now what they're doing from what they were doing 10 years ago, but then 10 years before that? So through the decades, has the dangers and the risks on the, the pharmaceutical side changed dramatically or it's just basically the same risk, different, you know, different poison? Well, I'd say probably a whole other show. Dorian talked about For back sure. in the early 90s how when somebody, uh, you know, was competing, they might use two cc's of, of testosterone. 
it was my experience back in the early 90s. If you were on one cc and you went to two cc's of testosterone, you thought it was a huge deal. Sure. You thought you were going to crap a liver and your eyeball was going to fall out. And you thought that was a big deal. Now people's risk tolerance or their, their understanding is, is that it's not as unhealthy. Uh, but now they've, so they'll take more and more and more and more. So the dosages have drastically increased. And of course, the side effects as a result is going to sure. happen. Um, for people who think that they can uh, overcome poor genetics. You find the guys with great genetics don't need to take that much stuff. Gotcha. They, they tend to be super responders, in the, uh, both in terms of gaining muscle. And like I said, you reach 95% of your potential within the first couple of years, and either you see it or you don't right yeah. away. And uh, that's what's happened now is people take more stuff, different things, just uh, and just all the different palette of, of things that people will take in any sport. I see it you know, everywhere. Uh, plus the massive size of, of the competitors now, whether it be powerlifting or strongman or bodybuilding or football even. Men are. Yeah, that in of itself yeah. is what I think uh, starts to drive most of the, the chronic conditions. Uh, the, you know, your cardiovascular system wasn't meant to support, you know, you don't see many, many 300-pound 70-year-olds. You just no. don't. Uh, and we know that, that, that uh, in rat studies, when you, when you restrict calories, they live longer. Yeah. We, we tend to see that people who are over 100 are tiny. Yeah. You know, they're Absolutely. those little, little Japanese people or little Chinese people that are 100 pounds. Uh, so we know. And we also see in, in countries, uh, in Nordic countries, uh, Holland in particular, with, with the uh, kids in high school that'll be 6'8", six, 6'9", six, et cetera, uh, they'll intervene with uh, growth hormone and testosterone, estrogen therapy, whatever uh, uh, is deemed necessary, to stop their growth, to uh, fuse the, the, the epiphyses, the long bones, so that they don't grow because they know that the taller these kids get, the shorter their lifespan is. Hmm. And so they've intervened now to, to try not to let them get up over to, to whatever you know the parents or the kids determine is too tall or too big. Uh, to compromise their longevity. So, I mean, in a roundabout way, I'm just saying that, that, that competitive sports uh, as a whole, regardless of, of you know, uh, whether you're just talking about performance-nasting drugs or everything involved in that whole aspect, whether you're talking about concussions, yeah. whether you're talking about um, 10-year-old girls uh, in gymnastics having ankle and wrist and knee surgeries. Yeah. Uh, it's, gymnastics is very dangerous. Cheerleading, pretty, very dangerous sport. Pretty incredible what's going on out there. Yeah. Uh, Not discussed, uh, but we try and bring light to that also. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, pick your poison. Yeah. Uh, people are putting their bodies through some pretty ridiculous things. Uh, you know, look at downhill skiers and motocross riders and surfers uh, on big waves. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, the, the risks. NASCAR, we see it, yeah. unfortunately, once a year or two, something yeah. tragic happens, very sad. Yeah. And I don't want to lump in uh, uh, testosterone therapy, hormone replacement therapy with steroids. Yeah. Some people's I, knowledge of steroids in general tends to be what they saw on an after-school special uh, and the one with Ben Affleck, yeah, one of those, right. <laughs> you know, like Reefer Madness. Exactly. It's just a, a, a big disinformation campaign. I have that DVD. Uh, yeah, well, and, and, a lot of and the important thing is, is that also if you're deficient in, in testosterone, you have a higher all, all cause mortality. Absolutely. Uh, as your muscle starts to waste, you subject yourself to, to more and more likelihood of, of, of dying earlier. And, and with that, for, for comparative purposes. Testosterone replacement therapy, typically 100 to 200 milligrams per week. Competitive athletes, bodybuilders, a gram or two yeah. or more per week. 
so one, it, it's replacement therapy. And we, uh, through here, we deal with people all the time who are on TRT yep. or on HRT. And can change their lives for the better. Working with a doctor. Yep. Blood work. Can doing the complete yeah. process, the updates and the checks. Unfortunately, the same problem occurs. Compliance becomes the number one problem. They get on for a month or two or three, and they do performing so well, and then all of a sudden they just give up on all the, the things behind the scenes. They stop eating habit. well. Yeah, <laughs> they can't do anything else. <laughs> Their wife kicks them out of the bedroom. <laughs> right. They start eating poor, more poor. They they yep. stop eating well. They stop exercising as regularly. They expect the testosterone to do it all for them. When they yep. see that that doesn't happen, then they get off the testosterone therapy. They just don't go back because you know it's not all easy. Yep. So the same thing. It, it's it's a comprehensive approach, and it's just one small aspect, you know, managing your hormones uh, of the whole, you know, success. The uh, everything that that's required to be successful as a, the lifestyle that allows you to be healthy, and it's constant. Pick your poison. It's constant. Yeah. yeah. Now, Conor McGregor. Floyd Mayweather. Uh, I know you're a huge fight fan. I so. am a huge fight fan. I love Conor McGregor. You know, you I go. really do. And I'm not one of those guys that 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 wants to to be a Monday morning quarterback or, or pretend all of a sudden now I'm a I'm a, a boxing expert or a UFC expert. I, just like you asked him about bodybuilding and Phil Heath. Yep. I think anything that brings eyeballs to the sport is entertaining. It's yeah. great. I never really followed teams a lot. I followed athletes. Yeah, me too. You know, growing up, the the, the Michael Jordan and uh, you know, great great quarterbacks and uh, uh, Shaquille O'Neal and, uh, you know, whatever the athlete was, uh, whatever sport they were playing, I, I followed individuals and I, I'd look behind that and see what made that individual. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I was going to do a rant, so I don't care what your bench, how much you bench press. Because what I really want to know is, is what makes that individual successful. And Connor's one of those people uh, who has uh, this extraordinary mindset, his training, kind of like watching GSP back in yeah. the day. You know, his, his, his commitment to his training, his discipline, uh, the things you don't see, uh, was extraordinary. The way that he was able to pass up everybody else with, with such uh, intensity, great coaching, great training partners, great uh, training protocol, uh, everything. His, his, his diet, uh, you know, he was on it. Uh, and that's what made him an incredible athlete. Absolutely. So you'll be you'll be watching. Oh, that. I'll be watching. They got my money. You got my money. What are they going to charge us? Do we know yet? I bet it'll be a hundred bucks. bucks. I'm thinking it will be. Pay it. Yeah. yeah, I paid I'm, it for the Pacquiao fight, Pacquiao Mayweather fight, and I didn't even yeah. it didn't even turn on until round six. Yeah. Cable vision problem. Oh shit, that's Bastards. too bad. Now I'm excited. You know, Connor will be here uh, first week of July okay. to train in his own facility all the way through August 26. You know, he likes to to be local to yeah. to have his team to create his own. Uh, training environment like he's done previously. He'll set up his own gym, and he'll be here uh, uh, completely focused and disciplined. Uh, you know, all that other stuff can be a distraction, and he tries to manage it as best he can, all, all the media stuff. But yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, I've always been much the same way. When I was getting ready to compete, I would either, like when I went to Sacramento and trained at the gym where the competition was at, using yeah. the same equipment, the same weights, the same bars. When I wasn't able to do that, I bought that equipment and and brought it here to Vegas. There we go. And I had my own monolith, my own bars, my own Olympic plates that were all exactly the same. You know, if it was an eight foot Texas long bar that I was yeah. going to squat under, then that's what I had here. And I tried to replicate that as best as possible. So, uh, that come competition day, nothing was new. 
Yeah, and that's that's how you become a champion, Yeah, right? And that's yeah. what we talked about earlier. Well, Stan Efferding, I really appreciate you being here. For everybody looking, go to stanefferding.com. That's two Fs, E-F-F-E-R-D-I-N-G. At Stan Efferding on Instagram, on Twitter. Are you active on Twitter? I don't even know. I think I have a Twitter account. My wife sets that stuff up for me, and then I forget. I don't know. Well, your Instagram is kick-ass. social media stuff. <laughs> Just be you. Yeah. YouTube is kick-ass. The Cooler, is it the, the cooler.com? Yeah, with a K. Stan Efferding and the Cooler.com both go to the same place. Uh, Rhino's Ramps. Rhino's you know, Ramps. Folks, uh, they pay me a lot of money for training, yeah. and 95% of it is in those ramps. It really is. And what we talked about today, I mean, a lot of it's in there. Yep. But if you still want your handheld, man, send me your money. There we go. We got it. StanEpperding.com. Our brother, really appreciate you being uh, here. You're definitely a favorite. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for taking part with us. Remember to subscribe. Leave comments below. Let us know what you think and what you want to hear next time. Be sure to follow Mr. Stan Efferding. Keep him um, informed of your thoughts on what he had to say. And definitely ask him any questions because he will definitely answer them for you. And until te- next time, remember, don't count calories. Make calories count. Boom! Put your